here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. X out. Go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Craig. <laughs> Give me a name. I like him. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. I like in, him. in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I am Rich Craig alongside, as always, the King of Banter and our leader. Of the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's going on? I would also like to be addressed as Scoop Breaker. You've been a scooper a little bit lately, yeah. That's uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, you begging for the scoops too. I, I've seen it. You're, you're you're but you're getting them. You know, you got to beg to get right. I'm digging for scoops. You are not a fan of the scoops. You don't care about the scoops. Um, I like to provide. I enjoy the scoops. Right. You don't want. I don't. You don't want to break the scoops. So, yeah. Sometimes I'm always a little weary of it. You know. Yeah, you just don't have any interest in breaking the scoops. I, I actually, uh, I talked about that on the on one of the review shows this week where I broke the AAA scoop, um, you know, booking MSG or whatever, and we'll talk about that later. But you, you're not a fan. You don't want to go down the route of breaking scoops. You prefer when we get a scoop to just keep the scoop to yourself. I think it's more that I'm 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 very gun shy about the Cody one, uh, the Cody going back to WWE thing that we had a few years ago. Because that one, we were like, that makes all the sense in the world. We're going with it. We like let off the podcast with it. We talked about it for an hour, and then people just always hold it. I mean, now people have kind of forgiven it, but for a while there, that was like our scarlet letter was like, yeah, but you guys said that Cody was going back to WWE. And we're like, all right, yes, we did get that wrong, yes, but so I'm, I'm that, I saw the scars from that. Are, are Here's the thing: us. that's that's one blown scoop in six years, and. Everybody blows a scoop now and then, especially in wrestling. I mean, come on. Wrestling, every, everyone, you know, wrestling, quote unquote, journalists, which we are, we not are, we, which we are not. And I, I, I hate the word journalist to begin with. Um, and I would never call myself a journalist anyway. But, you know, every, everyone blows a scoop now and then. We're, we're, we got a pretty damn good percentage to only have one blown scoop. But that one really shook you, huh? It really did. It's really shook me to the core. I, it, it's I'm getting over it now, but I, I, you know, you, you don't care. So you're there. You're taking every hack. You're taking every swing. See, I care about the strikeout. You know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. want the the, the clutch strike. I don't want to be Carl's Beltran. Like Carl's Beltran had a great career, did all good stuff. This we've now alienated 45 percent of our audience. That's fine. But Carl's Beltran, you know, he that caught looking. You know, in the NLCS, like that. that I, I don't want to be that guy. Even if Adam he's a Wainwright, I don't want to be the caught looking to yeah. lose the NLCS guy. And that's kind of what the Cody scoop was. The big hook from Adam Wainwright, remember? Yeah, you just oh, yeah. stared at it. Yeah, you got to swing. But that's the yeah, thing. But you're a swinger, and like you, you know, 
thirty percent of the time or whatever, you're gonna rope that for a double and win the game. But I, I, you know, I, I don't know what I'll do. I'll like lay down the bunt to try to run it or something like that. I just don't want to. You know, you're 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 willing to swing. Where I, I don't know. I. Uh... Here, here's the thing about the scoops. Okay, we, it's not like we're out here every week slinging scoops. It's pretty rare that we sling a scoop. Here's what we do: we throw them in in the middle of hour two. And don't harp on like, – we slide them in. Like if you're paying attention to the show, like really paying attention to the show, you're getting little scoops all the time I think. And the other thing we do is we – you know, stuff we're not supposed to talk about sometimes or we don't want to talk about. We'll talk about it in code and some people pick it up and some people don't. But you know, in terms of just blatantly reporting a scoop, what do we do that maybe once every couple months? Yeah, about something. that. Yeah, even probably even less. I mean, they, they tend to, they tend to kind of come in. Uh, they'll come in like ebbs and flow. Like there'll be there'll be a week where we might have a few, or a month where we have a few, and then there'll be six months where we don't have any or whatever. So yeah, they they, they kind of they come and go. And a lot of times we get them and we just don't ever talk about them. And you know, someone else breaks it a month later, and, and who cares? Um, but this one, I thought, look, Dave obviously had the information. I don't know why he just didn't you know say who it was. That didn't make any sense to me. And someone just came to us and said, hey, well, I know who it is if you want it. And we said, sure. So, you know, why not put it out there? Do you think Dave was like protecting Conan or something? Like, what? what is he doing? Like, why? Would yeah, he- that is his guy. I mean, <laughs> he's a noted uh, K-Dog guy. So what's I don't the deal with knowing that they had that AAA has the MSG date. I don't. Yeah, because I mean, it didn't matter because like a week later, you know, he would just report it anyway. It's not like he still kept it on. Like, even if, even though we said it and a few other places said it, you can still if you're trying to protect a guy, you're Dave Meltzer, you could still just not say anything. And then, you know and say, well, I, I, you know, I didn't do anything or, you know, kind of protect it that way and, and maybe assume that, oh, okay, well, you know, Mike Johnson said it, but it's still not totally public knowledge quite yet. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. Speaking of Mike Johnson, he then Yeah, that said was really it. nice of him to uh, to credit you when he uh, when he posted the scoop. As he always, I mean, Mike Johnson is nothing if not a professional who was always willing to, oh, wait, no, no, he didn't fucking say a thing. So no, he's a piece of crap and he always pretends that it's his own scoop, you know, so. Sources, um, I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, and that's what he always does. Now, several Lucha... What, what, what kind of... I'm not going to click... Uh, God, no. I'm never going to click on that website because my computer cannot handle it. What, what did... Because what there's like the sources are saying or I'm hearing or I've been told. Like, what, what did what did he use as like the... Someone else had the scoop and now I'm taking it without telling them. His usual move is like you just said. He'll usually say something like, we're getting a lot of emails concerned. <laughs> right, the emails. Like we are, people are asking us. And yes, I can confirm that. Yeah, that, that, that is one of his classic. But he always has to like shade part of what someone else reported to make it his own like he'll say well this part of it isn't true but and then he you know what i mean like he's always got to be a cock in that way um you know but you know he always he mike johnson likes to pretend he's oblivious to everything else around him and that everything that he is telling you is just he just came it just came across his desk you know what i mean like so many times Meltzer will break something and instead of just acknowledging that Meltzer broke it and then reporting his side of it, he plays the old people are telling me or I'm receiving lots of questions about instead of just saying someone else broke this. Here's what I know about it, which that's like the classy thing to do, the right thing to do. And no one's going to think less of you if you do that. Right. Um, he's done that to us. He's done that to us. <laughs> like our little <laughs> Right. You know, numerous, like, numerous times too which is the best part it's like, yeah, it's like uh, you know. he knows we exist because he follows us on twitter he 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 obviously keeps you know and like you're saying he acts like he doesn't know that the world uh, that anybody else in pro wrestling reports anything talks about anything has a podcast has a website 
but he follows us and like interacts with us and gets mad when we talk about it. You know, like yeah, so he, he knows. Yeah, he's like, well aware of us. He follows us and he got mad when I said he has a shoot job. Right. <laughs> and then he, he shot back and said, No, this is all I do. When right in his own bio is what I was going off. Because in his bio it said that he was a fucking some kind of editor of something. So that's what I was talking about. And he got mad because I said he had a shoot job with he told people he had in his own Twitter bio. So he's definitely the point here is he's definitely aware of us. There were several Lucha websites that did credit us by name. Um, you know, I couldn't read it because it was in fucking Spanish, but I saw Joe Lanza and I saw Voices of Wrestling and, you know, with fucking clickable links and shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is rare too. So, you don't get that a lot. I think one of them, uh, I, I'd love to credit them. I, maybe Lucha Talk. Let me let me figure out exactly which one it was. It was one of those sites. Actually, put a link to the Patreon because so often you'll get like you know the via these guys. It wasn't Lucha Talk. I forget, I forget where it was. It wasn't Lucha Blog either. It's not our good friend, the Cubs fan. I forget which one it uh, was. It was it was some of but actually linked to the Patreon. It's like oh, thank you. Like you know, <laughs> like people just don't. A lot of times we'll get like we said with the 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 you know no dq.net or whatever where it'd be like well you know hat tip to wrestling inc for this link and and this is like this you know endless string of like nobody crediting anybody and in the end it's like well you have no idea that we did this or they'll say yeah. like voice of wrestling but they won't throw a link in there it's like well come on you gotta put a link like you know give it give us you know and, and you know it's, it's funny like a little money here over the next 24 hours i don't know if you noticed but we actually got some subscriptions from a bunch of like um like spanish last names Hispanic You're going to be really disappointed yeah, by the rest of our content, unfortunately. But That's, see, Rich, that's even more reason to swing for the fences with scoops. You right. can make us some money. So, you know, um, there you go. So, But we're going to get into that later. We're actually, Rich, doing a lot of Lucha talk. This is a this rare, show. this is a very, uh, get get ready, call the kids in. Get This is a rare Lucha, I don't want to say Lucha heavy, but like we usually never talk Lucha. <laughs> the the extent of our Lucha talk is usually like maybe in the summer, once a year or whatever for the big, you know, Arena Mexico matches. Maybe we're making fun of Lucha Underground, but that's it. Like that is all you get this year or this this week. You're getting a lot. We got, I, I'm looking at my list right now. I got like three or four in, lucha topics, including a match we're going to go nuts about. So lots of lucha talk about. And it's like every you know, what we used to do, and we haven't really done it in a year or two. You would get the world's worst previews of Triple Mania and the anniversary. <laughs> yeah, like you'd get the world's worst previews of those shows, and then we're like, why are we doing this? Like you know, it's like stick to your wheelhouse. Um, but you know, if you've been following what's going on. Um, in Mexico, particularly with LA Park, particularly with AAA, you know, booking MSG, Jeff Jarrett winning AAA, mega super heavyweight world universal, uh, you know, title or whatnot. There's a lot going on down there, a lot we're talking about. And I've been watching a lot of this CMLL on these streams to try to keep up with this Rush LA Park deal. So there's a lot to talk about there, a lot that is worthy of discussion. And the, the great thing yeah. about, and once again, the great thing about nothing going on in WWE that's worth talking about at all with this six week gap between pay-per-views, the TV very being very, you know, ranging from mundane to terrible. Um, it, it allows us to talk about other shit. We're probably going to do a solid 45 minutes to an hour on Lucha topics. Uh, we got another bouncing around the indie scheduled uh, for today with some promotions that we almost never talk about, or, or, or in some cases never talk about, but you don't even know what's coming. Cause those are a surprise. Just like last week, um, I'm, I'm hitting you off with a surprise with the, uh, bounce around the indies we're also going to play a little game when we get into the bounce around the indies uh we got some new japan stuff we got some all-in stuff with some exclusive stuff there's some scoops rich we got some scoops uh-huh this is what i'm willing to give because i yeah i'll enjoy this the scoop so and you're passionate about this scoop yes yeah this scoop so is a good one when wwe is not clogging up an hour of the show 
there's a lot of different things you can talk about. And I'm glad that we're back to that because back when this show uh, started and before we got all fancy and started trying to actually make money off of this thing, we would do these four or even five hour shows where we would talk about everything under the fucking sun. I don't know why we did it. It's pretty fucking stupid in hindsight. We're lunatics, you know. Um, (laughs) You know, we didn't like sleeping or eating, but that's fine. But I do think there are times where we fall into patterns basically because we can't, you know, we can't help it. What's going on is what's going on where, you know, there we can go a month and do nothing but WWE and New Japan. And I'll be honest, that gets boring for me. Yeah, no, I agree. For sure. And, this and, is way more fun. These last two weeks, and obviously this week hasn't happened yet, but just looking at the rundown, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this week and seeing what we can do with this. Yeah, so when you can work in all Japan and you can work in this all-in stuff and some lucha and uh, you know some, some different shit. In the show kind of prided ourselves with from the beginning is that we talked about everything. Like you're saying, those four or five-hour shows where we would just be like, all right, this is this company, this is this company, this country, Mexico, and we're going to Japan, then we're going to America, the Indies, and that's what we've always – and like you said, sometimes we'll get in this thing where we just talk about New Japan or just talk about WWE, and it's way more fun to kind of spray it off field. I mean, that's one of our favorite things to do, uh, and, and you can tell from our voices too. When we have to do a backlash preview, it's going to always kind of sound a certain way versus when we're doing uh, stuff like this, and I think you, you can obviously tell them we're a little bit more excited. Um, you know, about these types of shows. Rich, I have a question for you. Okay, I have an answer for you, maybe. I don't know for sure, but try. I don't have a question. I have a statement. I'm going to make a statement. Okay. Rich, if you ever shower or brush your teeth or make your hair look presentable, and I know you do all three. Oh, of course. I have some great news for you. Do tell. for that? I do, do tell. Do tell. Come on. Let's go. Spit it out. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Do you like to smell your best? Oh, I love, I love a good smell. Yes, for sure. When I smell my best, the lovely Brittany always compliments me on how great that I smell. I like to I, – I get in the shower with my Dollar Shave Club products. I get nice and clean. I hop in the bed like a porn star, right? <laughs> and, she, and she says to me, wow, you smell like a man. Because that's what Dollar Shave Club does. It'll make you smell like a man. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready in the bathroom. You name it. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, and the famous one-wipe Charlies that'll leave your tushy feeling tingly clean and peppermint flavored. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top-shelf ingredients that won't break your budget. We promise that you will feel the difference because we have and our wives have. Please. Plus, shipping is included with your membership. For just five bucks right now, you can try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's amazing products. You'll get the Daily Essential Starter Set. That comes with the Body Cleanser, the One Wipe Charlies, the World Famous Shave Butter, and their best razor, the one that Joe Lanza uses, the only razor that Joe Lanza will use, the Six Blade Executive. Keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Add in the shampoo, the toothpaste, or anything else you want for your bathroom. You can check it all out. At dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. So we talked about how all we do on this show sometimes is talk about New Japan and WWE and how mundane it gets. Well, we're going to give you about an hour and a half of New Japan right now. So, <laughs> we have to, though. It's a big weekend. Big weekend. We got to do that. But, you know, that's right. Be, though. So the best of the Super Juniors are wrapped up. We broke it down last week, but there were still a couple shows to go. Um, our predictions uh, were bad. 
as they off so often. Do not bet on us at all. Do, please do not ever, ever, ever bet on us ever. And this is, this is a great moment too because when people say that, oh, when you guys are wrong, you never do back bats, or when you guys are wrong, you never say it. We are admitting right here because we always say we're wrong. Anytime we make a prediction, we usually will preface it by saying this prediction is probably wrong and don't listen to us. We were monumentally wrong last week on all of our predictions. Actually, you know yeah. what? No, 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 no. I, I was kind of right. You got me off the because I said he should just win it. Yeah, I said Ishimura should just win his block, fuck the you know double lose to get in or whatever. I should have stuck to my guns there, and I didn't. I gave up. I went with the Osprey. I shouldn't have done it. I should have stuck to my guns. Ishimura win, but I forget what we said about the B block. Oh, we had Kashida or something winning, right? Something like. Well, we didn't. Yeah, it's like I don't know. I, yeah, it was a toss up. We said a bunch of shit. None of it was right. <laughs> um, that's every yeah. week. That's that's actually the tagline for our show. Said a bunch of shit. None of it was right. You know. You can't crawl into the booking mind of a genius like Gato without uh you know getting tripped up on some uh on some tripwire now and then you know what i mean this guy always has something new and creative up his sleeve so best of super juniors finals um well actually see before we talk about the finals i thought that night before that cork and hall show from the i guess that would have been the third of june correct where they set um, everything up and we got yes i think so because the fourth was yeah, yeah i believe it was the third yeah and that's the show where they set everything up for the final because the final uh was a fun show but it was really you know a bunch of tag matches uh you know uh leading into the the final itself why can't i find it on the run sheet here did we even have it on the run sheet i don't i don't have i don't have the match list on there no i just okay well that's why i can't find it um but it was the uh night before actually which was in cork and hall another sellout which is notable because it was all block matches there were no heavyweights on this show at all Okay, and uh, we didn't have the match order at the time of the recording. The match order came out after the fact, but that show was just a killer fucking show from top to bottom. I mean, you know, you had two really fun matches with ACH and Tiger Mask and Yoshinobu Kanemoro versus Bushi, and then everything after that was four star range or or way better. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you know, you're talking, um, you know, Taguchi Saban, tremendous match. Taguchi wins. Um, Desperado Dragon Lee was a tremendous match and Desperado got the win there and I'll tell you when all was said and done you really have to seriously consider Desperado as the MVP of the tournament I mean whether you give it to him or not he'd have to be in the conversation right like yeah it's one of those ones where like even if I don't agree that he is like if you said that I'm not gonna be like oh that's way off base there's no way like no I think he'd he'd obviously be in your top three I mean you know what I mean is it that nuts to say he'd be in the top three for just about anybody I, I don't imagine you would have him out of that I mean certainly top five I mean I think that's easy top five for sure and I thought that Despy Dragon Lee match was one of the better matches of the yeah. tournament. I think mm-hmm. I went four and a quarter on that. And then you had the Willow Spray Flip Gordon match, which, well, you know, we pretty much guaranteed would deliver. And it did. I mean, that was another great match. I went four stars on that. Dave Meltzer out of his fucking mind. He went four and three quarters on that Will- Willow Spray Flip Gordon match. I mean, I, you know, I didn't think it was that good, but uh, I definitely thought it was an excellent match. And of course, that set up the, the winner go home scenario in the very next match where Taiji Ishimori had to knock off Yo or uh, Yo at that point mathematically eliminated, but Taiji Ishimori needed to needed those two points to tie Will Ospreay. And then, of course, since he beat him on night one, uh, he would move on. Will Ospreay watched that match from ringside and was just tremendous at ringside watching that match, reacting emotionally uh, to Ishimori uh, beating Yo, which again I thought was another excellent match. I went four stars on that one. Uh, full lands a wreck. Go out of your way to see it. Yo, how to see? You were right. You talked about Yo last week, and mm-hmm. I, I looked at my uh, notebook when it was all said and done. 
And, uh, you know, Yo had a lot of good stuff in this tournament. And, and I thought Ishimori between the Yo match, the Will Ospreay match, and then the final that we're going to talk about, which was out of this fucking world, ended up rallying and having a really great tournament. Uh, and then they, uh, the final two matches of the night decided the B block. Show played spoiler by knocking off Marty Skrull. So that took Skrull out of the mix. So it really came down to Hiromu and Kushida, both sitting at eight points. Uh, the winner was going to get 10. And nobody else in the B block uh, had 10 points, so it required no tiebreaker. It was just Hiromu Kushida, winner go home, and uh, Hiromu knocks off Kushida. And what I thought was kind of a disappointing match, it was a good match. Yeah, it was fine. It, was, it wasn't, it was yeah, especially I watched these a little out of order. Like, I watched this final, and then I went back and watched that match. Because I saw, I saw most of, of of the night prior, the one you are talking about, and then watched the final. And the only one I hadn't seen was the main event of, of the night prior. So I went back, and and what I saw then, obviously, the next day with Hiromu and, and Ishimori, going back then to Hiromu and Kushida, just lost a little bit. It might have lost a little bit because obviously I knew the result. I knew kind of what was going on, but still, I just felt there was something lacking with it. And and those two have had better matches. Those two are obviously capable of so much more. And we saw what Hiromu was capable of uh, the next day. So it was a little disappointing. It was fine. Like, I don't think you should avoid it at all costs. It's not like a terrible match. It's just we know that those two are capable of doing just so much more in there. So it was a little disappointing in that sense. I'm just looking at my notes. I thought it was the you can make an argument. It was the fifth or sixth best match on the show show which uh yeah i mean really yeah i mean you're i'm kind of running it down in my own head yeah i don't have my yeah that you you know i'll tell you i thought osprey gordon was better yeah definitely for sure ishimori yo was better yes i thought that um uh um obviously um desperado dragon lee was better i thought that was for sure yes we got three already that it's definitely ahead of it really comes down to what you thought of Sabin versus Taguchi. Yeah, and I, I like that. I'd probably put that above. Uh, yeah, okay. Then there so it is. Right, there, <laughs> yeah, right yeah. For you, it's, it's, it, then it's the fifth best match on the show for you. I, I, I think it was – look, I thought it was a good match. I thought it was right in the same neighborhood as Sabin Taguchi. So it's really not outlandish to say it was anywhere from the fourth to the sixth best match on the show, and you wouldn't be wrong. Um, you know, it just never hit that next gear. Uh, I thought maybe it was, I don't know, three and a half somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, it, 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 it wouldn't – Look, if it would have been the fifth match on the show, it's a perfectly simple match. But when it's the main event and it's deciding a block, you got to have a better match than that. But with that said, that's the last you're going to hear of bashing Hiromu Takahashi. <laughs> right. Because now we're going to transition to this finals uh, show, which was the next night, Cork and Hall, another sellout. Should be noted. I think, would they run Cork and Hall four times on this tour? Do you have the stats on this? I thought uh, I saw- I, let me see if I have it. I thought I, I I did have the stats on that. I believe they ran it um, all five. So they ran it five times. All of them sold out. They sold this fucker out five times. Now, listen, it's Cork and all. But here's the thing. You got to understand. The heavyweight stars, I think, I think Naito worked one show out of those five. And I don't think Omega, Tanahashi, or Okada – all they, they I, I think they just came in for the last night, right? It was, yeah. So, no, so they, those, I, I don't know about Naito. I'm not, I forget how many he was on, but he yeah, for sure. Them, for sure. So, he worked at least two. Yeah. So, Tanahashi, Okada, and Omega, only the final night. So, four of those five were, were done without those three guys, without Tanahashi, Okada, or Omega. Which is incredible. Um, you know, I, well, incredible might be a strong word, but when you look at history of the best of Super Junior, it, it, it always needs heavyweight help to draw. But they've gotten it to the point where they can run shows in court. They can run five Corican shows on the same tour, some of them with none of these heavyweight stars, and still sell it out. That is a testament to what they've done to get Hiromu Takahashi and Kushida and Will Ospreay and to get these guys over as stars on their own and then have the guts to main event with Taiji Ishimori, what, twice out of the five? You know, the, the first night and the final night. 
you know, a guy brand new to the company, um, unproven as a draw. So I don't know. I think that's impressive. Now, some of the middle tour dates didn't draw as well. Uh, it did hit a bit of a lag in the middle there, but overall it drew very well. And I'll tell you what, if you look, and we always talk about this, Rich, we talk about the effort that wrestlers will put in based upon what kind of crowd they're working in front of. And that's kind of where this tour kind of hit a lull in terms of match quality too. When they hit some of those middle dates where, you know, you, you put it on new Japan world and there's a million empty seats sitting in front of you. Well, you know what? That gets in the head of these wrestlers. They're not going to go out there and kill themselves, you know, for a half filled building in front of 800 people. They're going to save that shit for when they get back to Corrigan. So I think sometimes we do forget the human element. I know we touched on that a little bit last week, uh, but I, I thought that should be fair to be known. But overall, uh, the tour drew um, uh, very well, and, and and it's really a testament to how well the juniors have been booked overall and and built up. And someone else, Evan Deadly since pointed out that on the Dominion show, if you look at the past four years, the junior title match has slowly crawled up the card each of the last four years, uh, higher and higher on the card. So um, that's something else that I hadn't even noticed but that uh, he had pointed out. On yeah, him. that's a great catch by him. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him, obviously, uh, at length for the next you know, 45 minutes or so. Uh, but Hiromu is a guy that, like, and, and obviously we'll break down the actual match and, and, and what we thought of it right now, but he's the guy that definitely, like, as I was watching kind of the tour and, and, and watching this match and and seeing just him capture this crowd in, in Corican. And by the way, people that don't know, the, the, the finals was in Corican for the first time in, I think, five or six years, because the place where they usually go is getting proofed for, uh, I think, earthquake. It's getting, like, earthquake proofed, because obviously Japan's getting the Olympics in 2020, so that arena was getting kind of retrofitted, or they're doing something to the arena to make it you know, sustain our earthquake or, or whatever. So they couldn't go to their normal arena. So it was in Corican. So that's kind of a reason why it, it, it wasn't in because it's usually in a little bit of a bigger arena than, than this time. But it didn't matter. I actually kind of liked it in the Corican atmosphere because because that's really I mean, we always say that's kind of the big barometer there. Like what, the crowd in Corican, usually if they're way into you, if they see you as a star, like that's a good indication that you're a fucking star. You know what I mean? Like if the Corican is, is behind you and they're into everything that you're doing, you're going to be a star. Or you're going to make it or you're going to obviously do whatever. And and Rome was obviously already at that point. But when I was watching this match, in, in particular and and it brought up kind of what evan deadly sins was saying about how like you know the juniors are kind of moving up the ladder moving up the ladder you know the third match on the top this year and harum was a guy that, that that as i was watching this match and thinking about sort of the harum the harum experience and everything that's going on with there right now he is the guy that really I, I truly believe this and joe i'm kind of curious on your thoughts do you see him as a guy that that eventually will become the star of the company, regardless of him being a junior, regardless of whatever stable he's in, like he feels like a transcendent star. He feels like a guy that that is going to be a huge deal in America, a huge deal in Japan, a huge deal whether he's a heavyweight, a huge deal whether he's a, a junior heavyweight. He just feels like this is a guy that could be a star. Look, I said when he first came back to the company and they were giving him the mega push, I said this is a guy who's going to eventually outgrow the juniors and he could be a heavyweight star. Um, I reeled back on that when they started doing the Daryl stuff. Hmm. I'm not going to reiterate all those arguments, but if you notice, and this was pointed out by uh, Lawson Luang of our site, um, no sign of Daryl whenever he's being pushed, which means New Japan also recognizes that it's a stupid gimmick and it's not a star gimmick. Um, is it something that could sell a couple of dolls off the website? Is it something that some people that appeal to some people? Sure. When they want you to take Hiromu Takahashi seriously, Daryl's out the window. They don't play games with Daryl, um, you know, which is the right move. Uh, look, I think that, yes, he obviously has the ability and the charisma. Um, I don't know if his gimmick as it's currently instructed, I, I don't know if this 
crazy guy who calls Will Ospreay a cat. I, I Look, you don't want to change the basis of what got him over to begin with too much, but I think they can tighten him up and make him a little more serious of a character. Look, this is New Japan. Um, I don't know if you're going to have main event heavyweight start. Look, when Kenny Omega moved to heavyweight, he stopped doing chainsaws. That's kind of the point I'm getting at here. Right. It's, it's at some point, Hiromu... I'm kind of seeing that a little bit from Hiromu, though. Like you, you, you brought up like the cat thing and, and, and being kind of the weirdo. He, he was that for a while. I don't know. Though. I, I'm starting to and, – and this tour – and that's why I mentioned it. It was this tour that kind of re, reinvigorated my, my – you know, maybe not my love for Hiromu because I've always enjoyed him, but my idea or my thoughts that this guy's could be – this guy's going to be a megastar because he wasn't being the cat guy. You know what I mean? He wasn't being overly weird. He was kind of being the aggressive ass-kicker daredevil Hiromu, and that, I think, can translate. That, I think, is yes. going to work. And that's all he was this entire tour. He wasn't walking out with cats. He wasn't licking people's faces. He wasn't, you know, yeah. doing weird stuff. He was being the lackey for Naito, which actually was kind of interesting. I don't know if, I, of course, you watch the post-match promos. I know, and if people that are not watching those post-match promos on YouTube or whatever, absolutely go do those. There's some great stuff coming from those. Really, really good stuff coming from those. But a lot of it is Naito sort of telling him, well, you know, ah, whatever, who cares? You know, that's ah, it's just a junior title, whatever, whatever. And I think that's kind of fun stuff they're doing there. They're sort of planting a seed there where Hiromu was kind of saying, hey, look, I did this and Naito's just like yeah yeah whatever 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 but it might become a thing where Hiromu then says no 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 hold on a minute like I'm accomplishing a lot of stuff and you're not going to come here and, and and tell me you know I'm not or it doesn't matter or whatever this trophy doesn't matter or whatever eventually I think that's a good way of maybe planting some seeds there for, for for some future stuff but I'm I'm seeing it with Hiromu a little bit it's like he's he's he is dropping some of the stuff and he walks out there and he's just a kind of an unhinged guy a Dean Ambrose type he's he's the the Dean Ambrose that we liked the mysterious versus the kooky guy you know what I mean? The yeah. guy that you're not quite sure what he's thinking as opposed to the rodeo clown. Hiromu. Unhinged unhinged can work. I think that works well. I think he's a little too kooky still for my taste in terms of – but here's the thing. I think a more interesting argument than can he be a heavyweight top guy is can New Japan successfully get the juniors over at the same level – as the heavyweights sure. and not have to move these guys up, which I don't think is a question enough people are exploring. And I think it's what they're trying to do. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be very difficult to do. Um, in hindsight, Noah should have did it in like 2005 instead of trying to move those guys up. And it, it did not work out. Um, and, and they might not be, who knows? I mean, butterfly effect, they might not be in the state that they're in, but it's going to be hard to convince the traditional Japanese audience to accept the juniors on the same level as the heavyweights. But here's the caveat. New Japan is creating a bunch of new fans who aren't married to the old ideas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe the idea here with them slowly moving up the card and having all these great charismatic junior stars, like I'm watching this tournament and thinking, you know what? Will Ospreay should be a heavyweight. I mean, he's big enough. He's credible enough against the heavyweights and they can, and I'm like, shit, they could probably take this title off him. And make him a heavyweight drawing star. But then I'm thinking, but wait a minute. If you've got Will Ospreay and Hiromu and Kushida and you're building up guys like Desperado who's doing the best work of his life, why not just try to elevate all of those guys and keep them where they are and then have yet another top-line drawing title in the company? Now, you know, and I think the fact that they are drawing from different fan bases now and creating new fans – I think that might be what they're trying to do here. Do you think that might be better to explore than taking a risk and you bump a guy who like Hiromu up to heavyweight and it just doesn't take 
I mean, that's more of a gamble because you could really like look what happened in Noah. You could argue that it really hurt Kenta and Marafuji for the next half decade or oh, more. Sure. Yeah, no doubt. When they failed to move, they succeed. You know, it, it's instead of going that route, why not move the whole fucking division up? You've got charismatic enough stars to do it, and you've got guys in the pipeline. When you're talking about guys, look, we always talk about Show and Yo and how, oh my God, Show looks like an ace. Too bad he's only 5'6". Well, fuck it. Why can't the juniors be aces? Why not move up the whole division? You know, and you've got a guy like Kawato coming back who who looks like he's getting... So, you know, I think that's the question that we all need to start exploring rather than, oh, should Kushido work a G1 or should they move Hiromu up? Or, oh, you know, I wish Show was three inches taller. How about we move all those fuckers up collectively? What do you think of that? Yeah, no, I've, I've always kind of been in that way and, and, and thought that that was the way to go is, is you know, you have – I don't think there's a big issue with, like, main eventing a show with juniors. We saw it a little bit. Uh, what was the – it was, what, a few years ago. It was Kushida and who? Kushida versus Bushi, and it was in – I think it was in Oto Ward Gym or something, one of those buildings that holds about 3,000 fans. Now, yeah, Dave, it was like the third show of whatever. I forget what tour it was. it was or whatever, but that was a big moment. We talked about it at the time. Like, oh, that's an interesting thing that they're doing here. I don't see any reason why you can't do that. And and, and we've seen, you know, in the, in the past that New Japan is great at, at establishing the secondary titles, the never title can, can main event a show. The IC title can main event a show. I don't see any reason why you can't just have these guys main event shows every so often. I mean, I think they're dynamic enough. They're obviously have a crowd connection, you know, th- that has been built in. Like you're saying, the, the days, and I think people are stuck in like, well, it's, you know, people are stuck in 1993. Well, you can't have a junior main event in 1993 or whatever. You can't. Well, no, it, it's 2018. Like these people that are coming up now, you're not going to tell them that Hiromu is a fucking megastar. Like those people are not going to buy tickets because Hiromu is main eventing or whatever. I mean, this whole tour is, I think, evidence of it that like, no, these guys can do it on their own. They've created enough stars in those they've created the Kushidas and, and, and done a great job with him. They've done a great job with Hiromu, who I think could be the biggest star in the entire company, you, you know, at, at, at a point at some point in his career. I mean, guys like Will Ospreay, who obviously has a, has a great connection. Someone like an ACH even, I know um, uh, post wrestling uh, WH Park who, who lives in uh, Japan was saying that he went to a few of the shows and like ACH was one of the most over guys because they see him as like an anime nerd. You know what I mean? He's, he loves one piece and all these things. I don't know any of these. I don't watch anime. I watch even, I watch the same amount of anime that you do, Joe, which is absolutely zero, but like that the fans get that and understand that he's one of those guys and they sort of accept him and enjoy him. And you, you can tell from the reactions, man, ACH comes out there. He's one of the biggest stars on those entire nights, a guy like a Flip Gordon, people are attracted to. They, they enjoy his work a little bit. So there's those guys are there. The, the, they've created a, a, and cultivated a really good you know, crop of, 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 of junior heavyweights that could be stars. So, yeah, I, I, I don't see any reason why not. I think it's always kind of, to me, I've always resisted the idea that, well, that he can't be a star until he moves the heavyweight. Well, no bullshit. Like, you got the stars. Just, you know, they're there. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not, um, I'm not sure that the modern New, J- New Japan fan is waiting for, you know, Ironhead Fujita to come back and, you know, Antonio Inoki to bring back Inokiism. I, I, you know, it's, it's, I think that they have created new fans that, you know, could be accepting to new ways of doing things. Um, you know, when I look at all these LIJ fans, you know, they don't, they don't strike me as, you know, new Japan fans that are, that are lamenting, you know, the loss of a bygone era. They strike me as new fans who are into a new thing. So I do think if we um, try to uh, disattach ourselves to the old rules and continue to move forward with new fans and new rules, that it's entirely possible that you know juniors can can get over at the same level as the heavyweights, um, and, and maybe not if if total equal footing, you know, close to equal footing, which is really all it needs to be. Yeah, and Hiromu is the guy that I really think that 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 if and when they they want to do this, and I and maybe it is something subtle that they're kind of doing. I mean, I think I 
I, I assume that the Seattle tour and, and not having the heavyweights on there is a, is a big uh, part of it. But yeah, Harum was a guy that that I really just and and for whatever reason, just kind of star making performance i thought Haruma was but it was just something that was just different about this match and something different about his attachment to the crowd and what he was doing and how they were just into everything he did and he just came across like such a fucking star and i'm looking at that and i'm watching and i'm going dude this guy could like I, i'm not saying he's gonna main event a wrestle kingdom but man like you know he can main event a dominion or he can he can be in a a, a big tournament or whatever like i it's just to me i really do think that it's, it's it's just for whatever reason this match it just struck it stuck out to me it was just like this guy is a megastar and i know that like and of course I, i'm you know i'm not late to this I know that Hiromu is a guy, but it's just like, you know, it like we're talking about here, it's a, a, on a different level where it's not just like he's Kushida. Every time you saw Kushida, you're like, oh, this guy could be the junior ace. This guy could be the leader of the juniors. And there was always the hint of, oh, well, he should move up to G1. Like you said it a little bit earlier. Oh, he could he could do, face a heavyweight sometimes or he could do that sort of stuff. With Hiromu, I'm, I'm looking at the barriers and I'm going, why do these barriers exist? This guy's a fucking star. Like this guy can be on your marquee. This guy can be on the poster. Like this guy can be in the semi-main event. This guy can main event show. Like I'm thinking that that's where he's at right now. I'm thinking that's the level that 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 he's at either now or can be very soon. And 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 I'm thinking like why you know we don't have to have this this caveat of oh if he like you said if he grew a little bit or if he gained some weight or if he did this like fuck that he's there he's got it you 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 got it made with him. It's just a matter of kind of breaking a little bit of tradition and and you know it's it's. We might be seeing it. We might be seeing it. Like you said, it's it, we might not know that we're seeing it right now, but we could look back at this moment around this time and, and go, you know, shit, this is what they were setting up for. They were setting up for this to be. When you talked about when they when they many, many years ago built up that IC title, and we were wondering what the what the hell are they doing with this IC title? And it was so they could draw shows with it. That's why Ashinsuke Nakamura was your IC champion and not your your IWGP heavyweight champion, so that he could just run a show on his own. And that might be what we're doing here: is creating a star in Hiromu. So then you have four different you know divisions that can main event a show, and that's that's greater. Or shit, you could say five even with the tag titles if you get to that point. But I really think yeah, it, it, it's it, it's super fascinating what's been going on with this tournament and this match. Let's get into the actual match itself because I think we're we're both itching to talk about it. Uh, fantastic match, obviously the best of the Super Junior Final. Uh, Ishimori and and Hiromu Joe um just kind of i guess yeah what are, what were your thoughts on this match what did you think when it was over what were you thinking when it was going on because i absolutely loved it and i'll uh i'll give my thoughts and my rating here in a moment but i'm, I'm kind of curious what you think i yeah i mean like everybody else i thought it was a great match um i went four and a half on it to get that out of the way uh dave Meltzer went crazy dave again <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> it went five and a half. Oh, dude his um, audio his audio gave you the idea that he was doing that i don't know if you listen to the observer radio all that often uh anymore but so so they do the normal beginning you know what i mean like brian alvarez does the you know ah, da, 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 here we go and starts talking about raw and dave blows a fucking gasket he's like what i just watched one of the best matches i've ever seen in my life and you want to talk about raw <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever and brian's like all right well Dave, take it away, and then Dave just talked for you know forty five minutes, like he, he you know he'll do. But the gasket that he blew, and when Brian was like, "Well, so raw, not much happened." And Dave just went, "What <laughs> raw? We're not talking about raw." Like, it was the greatest. Yeah, it was a combination of it was also a really shitty raw. Right? Yeah, he was like, "That was one of the worst raws ever. Nothing happened on that show." And I just watched one of my best matches I've ever seen. And you want to talk about that show, the show that nothing happened? And it was like, and, All right. and Brian, well, Brian attempted to protest. I mean, he was like, well, it is the biggest company in the world and there's my chip show. <laughs> and it's like, Brian, get a grip. For one time, you can put a backseat to the fucking Raw review. That You know what I mean? It's like, give me a break. If there's any um, week or any day to do so, that th- this is a good week to do that. That Raw, nothing happened on Raw and that was an amazing match. So yeah, that's a good, good time. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I, I you know, what it does I, prove is they have even lo- less show prep than you and I do, which is staggering <laughs> given the lack of show prep we have. But Yeah. 
Yeah, clearly they didn't discuss that. <laughs> right. What are we going to talk about first? Ah, we'll see. Ah, no, no. Like, at least we we don't know what the fuck we're doing at any given point, but we have gotten better recently about, hey, Joe, what do we want to start out with? Okay, got it. Good. That's the extent of our show prep right now is what do we want to start out with? Got it. Okay, good. You know, we're very self-deprecating in that regard, but I don't think we give each other enough credit. I think that we kind of know what's on each other's mind even before we communicate it. And then, uh, I don't know. I just think the chemistry is good, and I think we know what we're going to do. And I think that it just uh, comes a little easier for us, uh, you know, than it might for some other shows. I don't know. I, I but, but again, we we've got to be self-deprecating all the time because you know that, that's, that, a good that's, thing. that's, that's a part good of thing. what we do too. But um, look, I thought it was a great match. Obviously, um, let me can I bury it first and get that out of the way so uh, I can just talk about how good yeah, it was. Yeah, because I'm about to throw a lot of roses on it. So yeah, bury it all you want. Everyone's gonna say that I hate the fucking match. Yeah, and but, I'm about to do that. But go ahead. So I look, I look, I don't think it's a match of the year contender. I will say that. Um, everyone could get mad at me for that, but I, to me, it's not, I thought it was great. I'm shaking at the thought, but go ahead. I mean, I thought I, you know, four and a half is not, you know, I thought it was, I'm not even positive. It was the best match of the tournament. I know people are going to get mad at that too. Um, you know, there were a couple matches that I thought were in the same neighborhood. I mean, maybe it would have gone to my head. It was a bit, but look, it was a great match. So now that I'm done burying it, um, I will, I will praise it. Um, my favorite thing about the match, besides some of the ins- absolutely, utterly insane spots, because Hiromu Takahashi, as usual, has no regard for his own body. Um, but my favorite thing about the match, um, honestly, which put it over the top from this is a very good match that I'm watching to this is a really great match that I'm watching, was like the final six, five or six minutes. Hiromu puts Ishimori in a, like a uh, triangle choke. Maybe he calls it something different, but it looks like Are a you tri- about the Roma one, the, the the D. He calls it the D. Okay, so he puts them in the fucking D. Okay, slap the, the triangle choke. Puts the D in them. Yep, puts the D in them. Okay, he slaps him in the triangle choke, and uh, Taiji Ishimori fights and fights and fights, and he lifts him up and throws him into the turnbuckle to escape. Do you remember this spot? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and then, but here's the thing about that. From that point forward, Taiji Ishimori was fucking dead. There was no, you know, typical New Japan comeback where they went back and forth for the next three minutes, uh, evading each other's finishes or, um, you know, uh, you know, taking turns with near falls. That took everything out of him. And from that point forward, it was just Taiji Ishimori hanging on by a fucking thread. He put him in a second triangle choke and then uh, eventually finished him off. And Ishimori did not go down until he was fucking dead. But from that point in the match on, he was hanging on by a thread. It was it was a totally different sort of match finish that New Japan usually does in a main event. Um, and that really put the match over for me. Taiji Ishimori's performance in that little closing five to six minute stretch, um, combined with the story that they told, combined with Hiromu Takahashi's utter insanity throughout the whole match, by the end of it, I said, you know what? That was fucking great. So I really appreciated that that final five to six minutes. And for me, that put it over the top. Yeah, and I think um, I'm trying to remember the match. I believe it was Hiromu and Sho, I believe, was the match where uh, Hiromu had him in the D and they had him locked in. And, and Sho was trying everything he could to do a powerbomb out of it. He was trying to lift him up. And it was like three or four times he tried to lift him up. And on the fourth time, he just collapsed and just tapped out or whatever, which I thought was a cool little spot. 
and then like kind of a not necessarily a callback in a sense because that's probably how everyone's going to try to get out of the, the match but when you watch the tournament you see that one guy the younger guy the maybe less strong guy of course when you look at Ishimori he looks like a guy that obviously could you know power bound at the D but I like that idea that like you know show tried to do it he couldn't do it he just collapsed and succumbed to the to the to the tap out whereas Ishimori was able as you said to get it out of there get it out took all of his might all of his power and he power bombed him or he, he threw him into the corner and got out of it but you could tell that that was it it drained him and it was done it was just a matter of time until he was going to get tapped so I think that was kind of fun how it, it sort of played into some other stuff that was kind of going in on the tournament as well other matches that kind of went in uh, to the tournament so no I really enjoyed that yeah that's a really great spot that you mentioned I, I, I love that and and for me like I I, I kind of loved all of it I it it, it was and we talk about this all the time. You mentioned effort a little bit earlier in the show, and you talk about you know when 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 guys give big effort when they know that the crowd's up for it, when they know it's a big show, when a big crowd or whatever. And, and it kind of struck me in this match too. This is a lot. I was doing a lot of thinking in this match. I was thinking of Romu as a star, but I was also thinking of another thing, Joe. And it was how how amazing it is that that I'm, I'm looking back and I'm thinking of the history of us doing the show and the history of me watching you know big time in event New Japan matches over the last you know five six seven years or whatever, and thinking. Off the top of my head, how many matches of those have you seen? I, and I kind of want you to answer this as well. How many of those have you seen where when it was over, you just said that those guys did not give all of their effort? Those guys didn't give me all that they had on this night. Those guys didn't put it, put all they could. They didn't leave everything in the ring. How many times, even a match that we don't like, even a match that, that, that like the Zack Sabre Jr. Hiroshi Tanahashi match from last year, which was one that I, it's just, I knew what they were going for. It just didn't work for me. I just didn't like it. There's been a few Minoru Suzuki min events that just, I get what they were going for. It just didn't quite work for me. But how often, honestly, have you watched one of those matches and said, those guys, they left, they left something out. They, they, they didn't give me all that they could on that night. How many times have you honestly said that? It's very rare. I think you brought up a couple um, instances maybe where something maybe didn't land. I don't necessarily know if it was effort. There's been some Hiroki Goto matches over the years. The match against Okada from New Beginning sticks out where you can reasonably make an argument that there was a lack of effort from Goto's side. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, 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 I'm, I'm trying, I'm racking my brain. I don't know if I can think of a New Japan main event where I said, wow, those guys just, they didn't have their working shoes on tonight. It just doesn't happen. Right. And this was just another example of those guys just busting their ass from, from the opening moment on. And I thought a lot of it was cool, too, because there was, there was obviously your, your, as you said, like the big kind of blitzing mega moves or whatever. But I thought a lot of it was was kind of cool because, like, it was it was submission-based a little bit as well because you have Hiromu obviously going for the D, wants to lock that in. He locks it in. He's got Ishimori in that move for, for minutes on end, like five minutes or whatever. Well, Ishimori in the, in, in the middle of the match, too, locked uh, Hiromu into a cross face. Hiromu gets out of it. He locks it in again. Like, that's the big teasing spot. So we look at all this stuff. We look at all the crazy crowd bumps and the drop kicks and all that sort of stuff and and say all this. But, like, the meat of the match, the match, the, the part that really mattered the most to that match was, was guys just living and dying by inches, just trying to get to the ropes, trying to get out of these holds or whatever, which I think is awesome. I think I, lo- I love that aspect of it where you can have Ishimori do the uh, amazing sliding German. And this one was incredible. I, I got up and like left out of my feet when he did the sliding German on this time. And I've seen it a few times, but for whatever reason, because Hiromu was such a fucking maniac, he just took it so perfect here. But there were so many of those spots that made you just like stand up and go, oh my God, I can't believe it. But what I love is that the, the bulk of the match or, or what I would consider the real meat of the match wasn't those. Those were kind of the spots that would kind of go in between the crossface, the D, the, the, the hints towards, you know, an arm bar, the stuff like that. One of my favorite spots of the entire match was was the reverse Rana sequence where you have, you know, Ishimori hits Hiroma with a reverse Hurricane Rana. 
And then Hiromu just gets up right away and hits a reverse Rana of his own. It's kind of like, it doesn't look perfect. It's a little off kilter, but it makes sense. It works well. It works within the context of the match. Hiromu just got done taking a reverse Rana. You know, he's a little tired. He's a little nuts. And, and it's Hiromu. Like, if anybody would do a reverse Rana, like, in that way, it would be Hiromu. He just doesn't do everything perfect. He does things a little bit weird, a little bit different. To the point where I'm not even necessarily sure that was a botch. I'm not necessarily sure that was not intended to be a little bit interesting looking or a little bit more, you know, a little more different than what a, uh, a perfect reverse runner would be because that's kind of what Hiromu does. He doesn't do stuff perfect. He just does it reckless, you know, a lot of times, which is fine. I don't care. Not my body. If he wants to be reckless, he can be reckless. But no, I mean, a lot of that, I, that's, that's what I really love the most about this entire match was that, that, you know, you can have all this crazy stuff. You can have, you know, your 450s and the J drillers and all this sort of stuff. But the meat of the match, I mean, the real big spots, the spots that really got the crowd interested were just crossface or just a D or, you know, just a, just, just a guy in a, in, 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 in just normal submissions in the middle of the ring and seeing how they're going to get to the ropes. How are they going to survive this moment and keeping those submissions in for a while and the crowd building and building and building as these guys are trying to get out of it. I thought there was just a lot of really cool stuff there. But yeah, I mean, this, this match on it it was the only thing that i didn't think was perfect was the verse runner and then like even then I, I you know went back and watched it and i said that fucking that rocked i get i get what was going on there that's fine with me so i went five with it man I, it was it was done i thought five in my head and i went okay what did i not like about the match i went back to everything that i didn't necessarily like and i thought about it and i said no nah, that's that's really not that big of a deal so i went i went the full five on it i really really thought it was incredible it's gonna I be my top 10 for sure it's gonna be my top 10 for sure i mean you went five stars of course it, i mean you know but i can't kill you for that i can't kill anyone for going crazy with this match. I can't kill Dave for what is goofy five and a half rating. You know, now, I've been thinking about Dave. I want to, I want to talk about Taiji Ishimori a little bit. So don't let me forget and don't move on before we do that. But I want to talk about Dave and his goofy five and a half rating, because, you know, every time this crap comes up and he gives a match six stars or six and a quarter or five and a half or five and a quarter, or all these goofy ratings where he's breaking his own scale. Um, we always brush it off as it doesn't fucking matter. Who cares? It's, you know, if Dave Meltzer thinks it's, it's, it's a beyond perfect match, that's his business. But, um, you know, do you think that there's something to the idea that maybe, okay, we always talk about, and we are huge proponents, Rich, of the fact that wrestling is constantly progressing and constantly evolving and constantly moving forward. And you know what? Maybe something that was a five-star match in 1989 um, you know, you don't want to necessarily say, oh, well, it's a fucking three-star match now, but maybe the shit happening now is just more impressive and it's better and it does deserve to be five and a half stars. Do you think there's anything to that or do you think we're going to get subtweeted to death? Oh, we're going to subtweet Because I just said sure. it. Yeah. But, but, what do you, but, but, but for the non-mental crowd that's just looking to, like, let's have a real conversation about yeah. this. Like, is, is, you know, maybe wrestling has gotten to be so great in Dave's opinion and maybe some other people's opinions who like the way that wrestling has progressed. If you don't like the way wrestling has progressed, that's that's a totally different argument. But if you're someone who is on board with the faster-paced, more athletic wrestling that we're seeing now, which is blowing away anything that we've seen in the past uh, at a quicker rate than I believe that we've seen in the past, wouldn't it be logical to think that, all right, well, these matches are better than those other matches that I, that I thought were perfect before? These are better than those. And that's not taking anything away from those other matches. They were perfect for their time. But I need a way to express how much better these matches are than those matches. So you know what? Fuck it. This is six stars. 
Is that entirely wacky and off base? No, I don't. I don't or, think so at all. And we and we come from a sports background as well. And we come from an, you know the evolution of sports. As you and I both know this. I mean, you know, in the in the in a power hitter in the 1910s in baseball, home run Baker is a great example. Everybody kind of laughs at home run Baker. Home Baker had like you know what 20 home runs or whatever right in his career. But then he was like ah home run Baker. He's he hits the long ones or whatever. And then Babe Ruth came and just completely broke the scale. And it didn't mean that home run Baker wasn't a good home run hitter in his time he obviously was they fucking nicknamed him home run baker even though he had he had two a year or whatever but that was a lot then two a year was a lot babe ruth comes in just completely destroys the scale you get guys like a barry bonds and so and the scale changes it moves and it doesn't mean that the the guys that were great in the past it doesn't mean that a home run baker wasn't great at hitting home runs in the past or that you know a, a kenta kobashi wasn't great in the past but it might mean that fuck like what, what what's going on now or what hiromu is doing right now or what this match was or or, or omega okada is better than that stuff and i don't know how to do that with just the scale i don't i i want to and it could be yeah like we always some attention seeking and, and kind of being an attention whore and going haha look at what i did which it, it is partially that it, it actually is that but you're right we might be reaching a point now and, and because he's given out so many of these that he's just trying to in some way say hey look i don't know how to properly say this like i i, I want to tell you that this is better than anything i've ever seen but how do i do that if i always just give it you know perfect matches five stars and, right. and you can say that, and, and that's a big reason why I've always been kind of hesitant to give five stars. Because to me, I think the best way to do that is 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 make really save that for the rarest of rare matches, the matches that really yeah. do. But I've given out this year, man, Joe. You know this. You know how hard I've I've graded throughout the years we've done this podcast. I, I would go look at my list right now, but I think I've given five matches already, five stars this year. I've See, never and- in any universe given match, and I'm about to probably give a few in <laughs> Dominion's coming up, and I'm sure there's another one's probably going to come out. I have no idea, but I've never given this many this year, and it's like this high level stuff is better right now than it's been. In in at least in the last ten years or less, you know my history of watching wrestling, the stuff that I'm seeing now is so much more incredible than the stuff I saw years and years ago. And again, like I think the the subtweets and the thing, it doesn't invalidate what you saw before. What you saw before, the the favorite match that you had in the '90s, your favorite match of the '80s, your favorite match of the '70s are all still great. But it doesn't mean that you can't admit that hey, this stuff is maybe on a different level. This stuff is hitting me on a different level than that stuff even hit me, or 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 this stuff just is better than that stuff. And it doesn't mean that that stuff in the past isn't. It's just evolution, you know. You know, it's just these guys are doing stuff that we never thought would be possible. Just like those guys were in, in their era too. So it's it, it's interesting in that sense. Like uh, you know, watching Kobashi and Masawa was was mind-blowing to people at the time because they were doing stuff that nobody had ever seen before doing incredible stuff and, and there was a way to sort of chart that with the five stars and all that sort of stuff and maybe now there just needs to be a new way to to chart what we're seeing now is better than that stuff but how do we say that if we can only get if five is the, the limit and five is all we have and it might just be a thing where the scale's just different now you know it's just because how else do you really project that how else do you say that this is better than that yeah yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, it, it, it's funny. Like you're going five star crazy this year, and I'm not saying that you're wrong for it because I I know what the matches are, and I you know think I went like four and three quarter, four and a half on most of them last year. You know, I think up until last year, I think I had like a something like eleven or twelve five star matches ever, and last year I think I had five. So last year was my year where I went crazy with it. This year's the year you're going crazy with it. This year I only have one so far, and that was Riddle versus Osprey at WrestleMania weekend. I think a lot of that was because I really fed off the live atmosphere of that. Um, it was a great match, but I think being there live and just going mental with Suit Williams and Allen and all these guys just helped help that. I mean, you know, um, but, you know, and, and and to go back to your other point, Frank Home Run Baker. Um, okay, this guy led the league in home runs from 1911 to 1914, four years in a row. And these were his totals, Rich, 11, 10, 12, and 9. 
Okay. But yeah, again, his nickname was Frank home run Baker because he was the preeminent home run hitter of his time, but standards do change. The standards have changed for home. They quickly changed when Babe Ruth stopped pitching. And uh, ironically enough, Frank home run Baker became a Yankee and then left the Yankees uh, after the 1922 season. And of course, you know, that's when Babe Ruth just shattered what everybody, you know, he hit 60 home runs in 1920. What was it? 27. I should know this as a baseball historian. I hope that's right. Uh, and, and, for, and think how monumental a 60 home run season is when a few years earlier, somebody led the league with nine. <laughs> well, I mean, Babe was getting more than like entire teams, like just alone. He was getting more than. And he had Luke Gehrig batting behind him hitting 47. So it's like. It, you know, it's just a, a ridiculously stupid. But the, the point here is how that relates to wrestling is, you know, I, I, perhaps we're seeing that massive jump. And again, I know how people are going to respond to this. If you don't like this, that, then you just don't like it. And I'm not telling you you have to. But, um, you know, just it, it's kind of interesting. I think that might be I used to think Dave was trolling with this stuff and just trying to get under people's skin. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's like you're saying he's trying to express how great he thinks this stuff is wanted to, I don't want to forget. I want to talk about Taiji Ishimori for a minute because we've talked a ton about Hiromu Takahashi. I mean, we've insinuated that he could be a top star. He's fucking great. He's one of the best. He's, you know, he's probably one of the five best wrestlers in the world. I mean, um, but I want to talk about his opponent, Taiji Ishimori. Last week on the show, we made a flippant comment. I don't even know if it was you or me, but then the other guy agreed because it was just an offhand comment. We said, geez, you know, New Japan, I mean, they plucked Noah's best junior. And the other guy said, yeah, I know, it's crazy. You know, I don't even remember which of us said it and which of us agreed. That's not, that's immaterial. It doesn't matter. But believe it or not, Rich, and I don't know if you saw this, we got like really buried for that in some circles for saying that, which. <laughs> okay. You're laughing. <laughs> what? Who's the- because, right. no, it, 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 this is real. Okay. Oh, and it's, it's listeners. I'm not talking into a fucking cave here. Okay. I, these are listeners who we got a lot of kickback for that opinion, which I thought was very odd because number one, it was just a flippant comment. I mean, it's like, okay, no, did I sit there and compare Taiji Ishimori's resume to Daisuke Harada's before? I didn't know I didn't, but Taiji Ishimori has been, you know, one of the top juniors in Noah for fucking, I don't know, last half decade. He's been in Noah for a decade. And, and I just didn't think it was that controversial of a statement. Um, but let's, let's talk about this for a second. Okay, because, you know, there's people saying, oh, my God, he's not even the ninth best junior from Noah. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, this <laughs> okay, I mean, that's ridiculous. Rich, I'm dead serious that that stuff immediately went out there. <sighs> it's like I'm hearing names like uh, Yohei and fucking. Get the fuck out of here. Come on. Like, I know those guys are fine. Come and and, and uh, Tadasuke t- uh, uh, and uh, it's like and, and, and you know, and, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, OK, look. If you don't think Taiji Ishimori was the best junior in Noah when he left, if you think Daisuke Harada was better than him, okay, you think I'm going to die on that hill? All right, that's fine. Um, do I think he's way better than those other guys? Yeah, I do. Like some of those guys. I mean, he's not even close. But here's the thing that – Rich, I want to provide some perspective, and I want to talk about it in this way. Okay, Taiji Ishimori was um, you know, a Toriyaman student. He trained coaches one of the all-time greats, a Hall of Famer, an all-time great in the style uh, that Taiji Ishimori works. And he was trained by arguably, you know, uh, the best person possible in his style. Taiji Ishimori, uh, when he was barely 20 years old, was groomed to be an ace of a promotion, okay? Taiji Ishimori, and that promotion didn't work out, but that's not the point. Like, when he was 20-nothing, 
they were grooming him to be an ace. Taiji Ishimori ended up landed in Noah in 2006, stayed with Noah until 2018, and went through all of those changes in Noah and bridged every one of those gaps when Noah's juniors just changed over, over and over. I mean, when he got there, it was the Kenta era with Marafuji, and um, um, and then and then obviously Marafuji moved up the heavyweight, and, and Kenta moved up the heavyweight, and then Kenta moved on. But the one constant. And the Noah Jr. scene for all of these years, for like a dozen years, has been Taiji Ishimori, the one dependable guy. I'm not saying Taiji Ishimori is an all-time great because I don't think he is. Do I think Taiji Ishimori is an excellent pro who was the backbone of Noah's juniors for a dozen years? Yeah, that is what I'm saying. And I'm going to say this. You have a guy who was trained by Ultimo Dragon. You have a guy who was groomed as an ace. You have a guy who was the backbone of the Noah Jr. division. Uh, for 12 years throughout all the changes. You got a guy who's been booked all over the world during that time, uh, multiple AAA tours, uh, ROH shots, working impact regularly the last two years. He got booked for PWG this year. He's been booked in Canada. Um, you know, He got booked on all those big ROH Noah crossover shows in the middle part of the last decade. Uh, you have a guy who not only has been in what a lot of people are calling an all-time junior match in New Japan, this match that we just talked about, uh, but he's been in other matches that are all-time matches, like the 2007 NTV Junior Tag Team Cup match uh, with with Kenta and Marafuji and Kota Ibushi, which might be, uh, you know, the best junior tag team match uh, that ever happened in a Noah ring. Or right, which probably go watch that match if you've never seen it before. It's incredible. Yeah, or the most, you know, if it's not the best, then arguably the most dynamic or the most famous, however you want to frame it. Taiji Ishimori has had one hell of a career. So we're talking about a guy trained by Ultimo Dragon who has taken part in legendary matches, who is booked all over the world, who was booked as a who was who was groomed as a company ace. We're talking about that kind of resume. And then we're talking about high 69. Or we're talking about Tadusuke. Or we're talking about Yo fucking yeah. Hey. I gotta. <laughs> or, or, or we're talking about you know, Daisuke Harada, who's a nice little wrestler. Does anything Daisuke Harada ever done compare to anything I just talked about? I think people get carried away. There's no comparison between Taiji Ishimori and these people. There's no comparison. This is a big boy show. And we make big boy points. So if you're not going to make big boy points and you're not going to keep up with an intelligent conversation, I don't know, maybe this isn't the show for you. Because that was some dopey shit that I saw out there. Taiji Ishimori is a great pro wrestler. And he went out there and had an all-time match. And he made our victory lap for us with that match against Hiromu Takahashi. Because I'm sorry, Tadusuke is not getting in there and having that match. With <laughs> no, no. And it, it was a star-making performance, too. We mentioned Hiromu. And, and, and again, like, I, and I don't want to slight Ishimori at all because he came out there. And, and again, like, he's supposed to be the bad guy or whatever. The crowd is way into him, too. I mean, you could tell that that guy's a star as well. They got something in there. Commentary did a great job of putting him over as well, talking about his stuff. You know, Kevin Kelly throwing some side swipes at No Other Reborn. Too. Like, it's it, it feels unique. I mean, they got a guy now. I mean, this is a guy that they've... And, and, and I think you alluded to this on Twitter. I, I, I seem to recall you did this. Maybe it, maybe it was a lucid dream that I had. But you mentioned that, like, weeks ago, you know, months ago, he's doing, you know, semi-main event tag matches with High 69, and now he's, like, you know men eventing a cork and with a, a molten hot crowd and having one of the best matches of the year. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's amazing how what's been done with him in, in, in just a month, in just a month and a half or whatever. And look, this is no disrespect even to those guys, but 
Taiji Ishimori is a different level than those yeah, kind of guys. For sure. You know what I mean? And and I like well, uh, and he knew he was, and that's why he said, yeah, I want to exactly. go to WWE. I'm gonna go over here for a little bit. Oh wait, I'm sorry, I'm going there. All right, sorry. Look, I had to lie. Because he knew he knows he knew he was toiling around in Noah the Reborn. And again, like we like Noah. We we root for Noah. You you have admitted many, many times that Noah's like your favorite promotion of all time. Like you Rich, want, I'm a I'm a Noah cheerleader. Right. You I mean, want that to be the best company in the world. It would you, yes, you, I you, do. Would, you would love if Noah just exploded and we would lead off every single show talking about Noah. You don't root for Noah to be bad. I, I certainly don't either. I love the green ring. Right. You love, love you love yourself some I green ring. So yeah, we were fine. When Newer the Reborn was literally reborn and feeling good for a while, we were talking about it all the time. We were excited about it. It hasn't it, it kind of died down a little bit. And Ishimori knows that. He's there, he's working it. He's like we mentioned with Kenta, how depressing it was when Kenta was in his prime and he's coming out and he's working in front of 200 people. And it's like, okay, like I'm better than this shit. And he was, and, and he went to WWE, and obviously that hasn't you know quite worked out, but but he was better than that stuff. And and that's not a slight on Noah, but guys know when they're a little bit better and they know that they've reached this and, and Ishimori is what 35 or so he knows hey it's now or never I can be a Noah lifer and hang around and do this but I don't need to do this you know I I, I don't have to do this I think there's more to me I think I can be a bigger star and he, he was absolutely right he gambled on himself and he won and again I'm not suggesting he's an all-time great or anything like that but this is a pros pro this is a respected pro who could hang with any junior in the world and he just proved it and he, yeah. not that, like he had to prove it. He's proven it for 12 years. This is a guy who, for his whole career, could hang with anybody in the world. And then there's Tadusuke. I mean, come on. Have big picture and have perspective. Okay? Like I said, this is a, this is a big-time show here. These are dopey points. I mean, if you want to sit here and tell me Minoru Tanaka has had a better career than, than Taiji Ishimori, I'm not going to argue with you. If you want to sit here and tell me Daisuke Harada is a better wrestler today, well, you're going to have a hard time after the match we just saw. But you know what? I'm not going to die on that hill either. But to sit here and bring up all of these other guys. Look, the other Noah Juniors are nice little wrestlers. They range from being nice little wrestlers to like guys who are lucky to be there because Noah is desperate enough to hire these indie guys. That's just telling it straight. Okay, because Yohei and Hayata would not be in Noah if they weren't having the troubles they're having. And it shows in a lot of their performances. Okay, so I don't know. That kind of annoyed me. It just shows a lack of perspective. And it really, what it really shows, Rich, is a lack of understanding of how good Taiji Ishimori is and what he is in the pecking order of pro wrestling compared to some of these other guys. And, and, and I just wanted to take a look. Taiji Ishimori has been an underrated guy for that the, in the entirety of those 12 years because he's done some of his best work during times when no one's paying attention to Noah. That's the other thing. And, and so, for the record, we've always put him over too because people are going to say, oh, now he's oh, in sure Japan. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah, getting absolutely. paid by Kidani. Like, no, I mean, shit, you're talking about that Noah Jr. match. I mean, we, we did a, 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 go back to one of our, not, not one of our first episodes, but a pretty early match when we were recommending matches to each other. That was one that you made me watch and I fucking gushed over it. And we've been yeah. we've been talking about the, the the lovely yellow pants of Ishimori for years. Like we love the guy. Like it's it's you know it's 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 nothing. Yeah. So that I know that that like oh well now that he's now that he's in the Kadani the New Japan Mecca loves him. It's like no, we've we've always loved him. So don't don't say that. But that's why totally we, right. we realized he was a big time guy. Like we realized look at those fucking abs. This is a, that's a, those are big time yeah. abs, Joe. Those are main event abs right there. You can't get those don't, those is, abs look, don't look. need to be on a Noah show with fucking Yohei who doesn't look like he showers. Those are big time abs. Those abs don't need to be on the main show. I like Tedosuke as much as the next guy, but Taiji Ishimori is a major league junior, okay? And that's really all there is to it. So this was a guy that knew, that WWE was flirting with in like 2007. I mean, come on now. You know? 
They're not knocking down Hayata's door. I mean, come on. Give me a break here. We don't right, know so, that. We can't confirm that, though, to be fair. All right. So what do we got? We're going to move on to Dominion here? Well, you wanna one break? thing I want to do, I want to play a, a fun little game with you, Joe. But the problem is I couldn't find a definitive list here, so I think you and I will do this definitive list here. So Taiji Shimori is Bone Soldier, right? In the canon of Bone Soldier, he is Bone Soldier, right? There's Correct. Whatever, Captain New Japan, or what, what, I forget his, his shoot name. It's Saito something. I forget what the hell it is. Whatever. Captain New Japan, that, that's your first Bone Soldier. And now Taiji Shimori is also Bone Soldier. So that is, the Bone Soldier Wikipedia will have both men listed, right? Uh, similar to like a Black Tiger or Tiger right. Mask Wikipedia. This is my question. Have we, have we experienced the greatest upgrade in a pro wrestling character of all time? Oh wow! So now we have to think of we have to think of wrestler a, a character that's been played by multiple wrestlers. Example: Doink the Clown. You know, starting off with um, you know, moving to Ray Apollo. Start off as Matt Bourne. That obviously is not a good example because I think Matt Bourne is better than Ray Apollo. I believe you or Ray Apollo. What the fuck his name is doesn't matter. You, I'm sure, agree with that, correct? Right, sure. But what you're saying is, is the jump wider here? Right, or no? I'm talking about an upgrade, uh, an, upgrade. an upgrade, not necessarily a downgrade. I mean, oh, I, I, I guess I they're going to do it because I see what you're saying. Yeah, so what, have we ever seen a single character, pro wrestling character upgrade more than we've seen with Bone Soldier? Right, Which because obviously, Captain Japan fucking sucked. So this is like monumental upgrade. So no, there, there probably isn't, but at least it was a fun exercise to see other guys that have sort of upgraded. Like you, you know, you even look at a Tiger Mask. But again, like yeah, you got Masawa, but shit, before him, you had. You know, great guys under under the mask as, as Tiger Mask. So is that an upgrade bigger than Ishimori versus Bones or, or versus you know Captain New Japan or whatever? Yeah, because Doink went backwards. Um, so that's out. Tiger Mask, like, okay, Misawa became what he became, but that was a downgrade at the time. So that went backwards. Um, Koji Kanemoto to the new guy went backwards. Um, Black Tiger, if you look at the lineage there, I'm sure there were some instances where the character improved, but to this degree, um, I I can't say it has. I don't even know why I'm wasting my time. There can't possibly <laughs> there be isn't. a bigger there, I, discrepancy. I just kind of wanted to have fun with the idea of, like, let's see about, you know, guys that have sort of moved on or different characters or whatever. Of course, you have, like... Um, you know, I'm trying. To, I'm, I'm looking at the Black Tigers right now, just to give an idea. So, Black Tiger One is is Mark Rollerballer, uh, Rollerball Rocco. Uh, number two right. is Eddie Guerrero. I mean, that's that's pretty big. That's pretty nah, good. Rock, nah, I, I Rocco don't know. Salad, though. Rocco original, Salad, yeah. The original Black Tiger. Now, characters, right? Is that how we're doing this? Oh, you're right. Um, They're a little bit different. He, they have numbers, right? So, is that fair? Let's count it. Let's count it. No, anyway. no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. What I meant was Mark Rocco had a great. Great career, and he was a great black. In this, if we're if we're just comparing them as the characters, the jump from these two bone soldiers is going to be. I mean, Eddie Guerrero might not have been as good of a black tiger as as Mark Rocco to begin with. Yeah, I see what you're saying. We're we're kind of stripping it, like you're saying. Yeah, I I see what you're saying. We're we're looking at yeah, you know, individual guys, and that's not that's not really fair because we're not we're not crediting Eddie Guerrero's you know (laughs) know, two thousand and and five you know as as Black Tiger. It's just you know we're crediting the few years he was Black Tiger. So that that's one. I was trying to think of like Sin Cara. I, I. that one's kind of minimal. I mean, you got the Mystico to you know the the, the Camacho or whatever. That that I don't know. That's pretty neutral. Which again is a great example because Mystico was so bad as Sin Cara. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like he was he was way worse than he was for the rest of his career. So there actually was a pretty decent jump from Mystico, 
Or Hunako. I said Camacho. Right? Mark actor. But <laughs> it, I said Camacho. <laughs> yeah, you said Tangaloa. <laughs> yeah, um, they, were, they were a unit in NXT, so you got confused. That's true. Right, you know right. what I mean? They were riding on the bike to the ring together. <laughs> um, that's why you got confused. Even though he's but, Tong. Ah, Mexican, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> even like, though like that was a pretty... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... You're not going to find a jump as wide as it. Let's go into Liger because, you know, you got like, like who was the one beforehand? Like, maybe we can find something there. But again, it's not like Tomohiro Ishii's performance as Black Tiger is the same as Tomohiro Ishii's performance is now. Yeah, because if you look at the lineage here, so you got, you got Eddie Guerrero, then it went to uh, Silver King, and then it went to Rocky Romero. Uh, then it went to... And all these those first guys were very solid. Very solid black tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's after that? Why am I blanking on this guy? That does not say... Well, maybe Takawa or... Um... Yeah, it's, why does it not say... Yeah, oh yeah, Takawa. Yeah, okay. So it was Takawa. Takawa uh, then Takawa. Ishii, and then obviously the, the current... Uh, we don't want to unmask him, but uh, it's out of the question whether we are going to unmask him or not, but it's Nosawa. So there you go. So you got that. That's, um, yeah, okay. So that, but like you're saying, you can't judge it on what Tomohiro Ishii became. You have to judge it on what Tomohiro Ishii was when he was Black right. Tiger. So that, that's where it's a little bit different. Whereas, like, I mean, and that Black Tiger run was like nothing. I mean, that doesn't even really fucking, I don't even know how you can even count that. Um, but, but, but yeah, the point here is it doesn't matter. It, it's like you're not going to find a disparity as wide as this bone soul. Soldier one, you really make a good point there. This is the biggest jump in quality from one wrestler to another that I mean we're probably ever gonna see. Ever. Because bo- oh, the, the other bone soldier was so uh, voices wrestling on Twitter if there is one that you and, and people are just gonna give us ones and just kind of fuck around, even though they're not better. But that's fine. If you just have ones in your in your mind that you're thinking, hey, this is a contender, because there's not gonna be another winner. We know the winner right now, but if you have other contenders, or maybe you could surprise us with a winner, but I, I really don't think you're gonna find another one. So that is uh, anything else on that uh, super junior final. Uh I've got nothing. All right, so there's that. Joe, we got a Dominion show coming up on the 969 Dominion Osaka Joe Hall. a uh, little bit of notes here it is the fastest pressing sellout ever in Osaka Joe Hall. What do you think of that? that a fact? That's fact. That per Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer, that is indeed a fact. So I yeah, I mean, we talked about that selling out, um, probably going back as long as a month ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. so um, yeah, that that's yeah, and and that was based on uh, I believe one match at that time. So uh, yeah, and, and I mean, you look at this show; it would have sold out even if people were patient because this is an incredibly fucking stacked show. I mean, this is just a ridiculously stacked show. A uh, big match, of course, is going to be Okada and Omega. We'll talk about that one, I think, first and kind of work our ways through the other matches. But, yeah, I mean, that main event, uh, no time limit, two out of three falls, uh, IWGP Heavyweight Championship. It's got Okada versus Omega. Uh, just a little bit of background on this. The series is tied 1-1-1. Obviously, they have a three-match series at this point. So, of course, one draw in there. And uh, this is interesting. Dave kind of laid this out in the Observer as well this week. He said Okada has broken almost every career record for the IWGP Championship. He's had the longest reign. He's had the longest time as the champion. He has the most successful defenses in a given reign. But there are two two records that he has not broken yet. Two records that Okada has not broken in this reign uh, or, or overall in his reigns. And one is the most career defenses. Right now, Okada is at 25. Tanahashi has the most at 28. And the other one is most title reigns over a career. Tanahashi has that with seven. Okada right now has four. 
So I think David just kind of alluded to that because I think a lot of the big mystery of this match and a lot of the intrigue and, and a lot of what we're going to talk about is, Joe, is this the time? Does, does Omega defeat Okada? Does he win the title? Is this amazing reign over for Okada? Does, does Omega take the title into San Francisco? What do you make of this? Is, is, is that you – know, wh- what are you kind of feeling now a few days out from this? Uh, because it's been interesting. I think it's really split. 50. I don't know that anybody has a good read on who's going to come out you know, from this match. And, and, and Joe, I want your stone-cold lock prediction that everybody should bet their house on. I mean, I think it's a coin flip match, and I don't think there's a wrong decision. No. Um, I, I think that um, there were two points during this Okada reign where it wouldn't have been the wrong decision. This one and Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. Neither of those would have come off to me as the wrong decision. Um, I think in hindsight, they did the right thing with Okada defeating Naito because I think Okada... Um, you know, breaking the record against Tanahashi was a, a great story for fans. And I think that, um, so from a storyline perspective, it was the right call. And I think from a business perspective, when you look at how fast this show sold out, I mean, there's no arguing against Okada's reign yet. So um, in hindsight, I, I don't, what I'm saying is, I don't think Okada or Naito would have been a mistake at, at Wrestle Kingdom. And I don't necessarily think that either of the men winning this match will be a mistake, but these are the two spots where I would have considered doing a title switch. Any of the other matches over the course of the title run, I would have said Okada should win. Um, and I do think it's a coin flip with the best out of two out of three fall step and the no time limit. And I know you want to talk about that. Um, Cause you're kind of cold on both steps. If I'm reading you right. Um, I do think that leaves a lot of room to keep the Okada Omega story going. I think that in the official site preview that we did, which I was a part of, what I said uh, that I think will happen is Omega will win the first fall and Okada will then win the second and third falls because then what that will tell us is that the rivalry is basically 50-50 coming in with Omega winning, Okada winning, and then the draw, right? If Omega wins the first fall and Okada wins the other two falls and wins the match, the feud is still essentially 50-50 because Omega can say, I beat the champ. I pinned him in the, in the center of the ring. Omega will have two victories over Okada, but Okada will still have the belt. The belt will still be elusive to Omega. So they'll essentially still be on even ground and you can keep this baby going and even milk some more money out of it. So that is my official Stone Cold Block prediction that's sure to go wrong. I think Okada wins the first fall. I think Omega wins. I'm sorry, the other way around. Omega wins the first fall. Okada retains the title by winning the second and third fall. So, I, But I honestly don't think there is a wrong finish here for business or for the story, quite honestly. Omega has come closer and closer. He scored the win in the G1. Him beating Okada here makes sense. There's really no reason to continue extending Okada's reign from a storyline perspective, um, but from a from a business perspective, sure, because he continues to just smash records and sell out left and right. So, um, you know, that's my take of the booking. Yeah, I'm really I I haven't quite figured out exactly where I'm at. I, I waver on like a daily basis in terms of this and so who I think is going to win. There are times where you know, in, in an hour before this podcast went on, I was full on. Okay, Omega's going to win, and and here's the reasons why. Then you know, I'm thinking, ah, what about Okada? Because 
and, and like you say, it's it's really that coin flip thing because there is not a wrong answer here. No matter who you pick, I think there's ways that you can defend it. I think there's ways that it could work, and I think both are going to work. Like no matter who you pick, like like you said with Naito, if Naito won at Wrestle Kingdom, there was obviously a path where where New Japan was going to be just fine and just do well enough, and and, and obviously still you know to do tremendous business throughout the year. But they decided to go with Okada, and, and obviously we've seen what what, what kind of happened here. I tend to think the same is going to happen here with Omega. My, I guess my official prediction, since I have to kind of make it, is I think that Omega does win it. And I think for the reason that you kind of stated there, that Okada has done it all as, as the champion. We've seen him do it. He's obviously, he's beaten Tanahashi's record. He's done that. He's eclipsed that. Is there anything more to really tell with Okada? Is there anything more to really do with that story other than he's still champion and he's still doing that? From business standpoint, I get it why you would want to you know, the gravy train's going. Why, why would you ever stop it? But at a certain point, it's always good to, and we always talk about this all the time, it's always good to sometimes anticipate beforehand and maybe react before, or, or be, pro, you know, be proactive versus reactive. Like, do it now knowing that, hey, in a few, in a, maybe in a month or so, people are going to get real sick of it. Not that I think that they're going to get sick of the Okada thing, but maybe it's a good idea to just kind of end it. I mean, you've done everything you can with it. And I think to me, the way I charted it out is, is less about Kenny Omega and the story of Kenny Omega. And I think there's stuff you can obviously do with Kenny Omega. Obviously, he brings a title into to San Francisco. That'd be a big moment. He can bring it to his, his little show in Daytona Beach or whatever. He can, do, he can do some other stuff with it. He can do some fun things with it. And I think, obviously, he's a good draw. And, 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 and if, you know, even if he has a title for only a few months there's still they'll be fine like i think the, the company will be fine and everything will be will be good to me though i think the path with okada gets a little bit more interesting if he loses then it's okay now he goes into the g1 trying to get back to this moment then he becomes an immediate g1 favorite because he has a title going into the g1 i mean yeah he could win the g1 as champion but that seems a little too dominant even for okada that seems a little nuts so i think it, it, it just to me if omega wins here it opens up a lot of possibilities now wrestle kingdom is okay how do we get to this because we know i think you and i both think and and i think you know gun to our head it would be okada and naito at, at wrestle kingdom the next year as well with maybe the roles reversed maybe naito is the one who's defending it against okada maybe okada wins the title back after winning the g1 i just think there's more pads if okada loses here and omega wins the title because now he's in the mix now okada's got to kind of fight for it naito's out uh, on the outside looking in other guys are kind of looking it, it just opens things up a little bit more. Whereas Okada, if he wins again, you kind of look at it, you go, okay, yeah, Omega can say, hey, we're kind of tied and maybe I should get another shot. But this just feels right. I don't know. Just for whatever reason, it feels like the moment is right for Omega to go out there and just win it and for Okada to end and then just kind of tell a different story. We've seen the same story with Okada for a while and I'm not complaining because I love it and I enjoy it and I've been all aboard. But I think now is a very good time to kind of chart a new path and, and, and get some new people in the mix and get some new stories to tell on uh, on the top of the card. So for me, I think Omega winning is probably the better decision. And to me, I would like it a little bit more. But saying that, you know, next week if Okada comes out, you know, if they have an incredible match and Okada wins, I'm not going to complain and we're not going to say, well, this is it and this is shit and I can't believe they did this. I think we'll know when we have enough trust that that the way the story they're telling is going to work out. I just think there's probably a little bit more to the story if Omega does win. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, one thing that I think should be explored a little more is you know, I do think they should do Okada and Naito again. Why wouldn't you? Look at the business they drew the first yeah, time around. Sure. You should probably do that match again. But why can't you have it with the roles reversed? I mean, you could have Naito defending against Okada this time. And what that does is two things. One, it gives you that rematch that you want to fill the building. And it also saves Naito beating Okada for the title for another point in time as well. I think everyone sort of just assumes, okay, we could just do the match next year and Naito can beat Okada at that point. But look at the Okada-Tanahashi feud. Those guys had, what, three dome matches and, and countless other matches. You really can stretch it out more and make the most money possible off it. You don't have to burn the Naito title win over Okada and the Naito-Okada uh, uh, rematch all in one shot. 
you could have Naito defending next year. So to get to that point, you would have Omega win here and then, uh, you know, have Naito knock him off at some point. But with the G1 coming and everything else, it's like, you know, what you'd have to do is Omega wins this match. Um, Okada wins that. That would make Okada winning the G1 a virtual lock. And then at like King of Pro Wrestling or something, Naito can beat Omega. And then that's how you set up Naito defending against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom next year. But so, yeah, I do think all of that opens up if, if Omega wins. Yeah, or I, another scenario think- you could do too, another scenario that I'm, I'm thinking about it, as you mentioned it, is that Omega wins here, Naito wins the G1, and Naito, or well, no, then, yeah, of course, you can't get to that then. Okay, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's the only way you can do it. Well, then Okada would just have to beat Omega in the fall. Yeah, the but I, I like the reverse role. I mean, to me, I mean, we're just yeah. like, we're just kind of oddly fantasy looking around saying that yeah. this is what they're going to do here. But yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying now. It makes more sense that Okada would do that. And then somewhere along the line, Naito uh, knocks off Omega and then we get the, the match there. So that, that makes sense there. I was, I was trying to think of a scenario where Naito won the G1 and, and, and you know, somehow lost the title to Omega before but or, or, or beat Omega for the title. But yeah, of course, that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't quite work out. So um, yeah, I mean, and I have no qualms with Omega being the champion for six months or whatever, I think he would draw just fine. Oh, for um, sure. And plus you have G1 right in the middle of it where it doesn't really matter. Um, he'd only really have to draw, what, two two houses at the most, two or three, the most, depending when they want to do a title change. Um, you know, and I, I'm confident that he can do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I look, I really don't think it matters from a business perspective who wins the match. From a storytelling perspective, well, you know, your your mileage may vary on that. It's I'm always hesitant to argue about stuff like that because, you know, what what is a good story for me might not be a good story for Rich Crate or someone who's listening. Um, so I just think it's easier to approach these things, booking things from a business perspective. But um, but yeah, from a story perspective as well, I I I'm okay with either result. I'm okay with either result from either perspective. So and I really do think it's a coin flip. Now. With the two stipulations, the two out of three falls and the no time limit, we can talk about what we think this means for match quality. And I know you're raring to go on that, so you can go first. Yeah, for me, and, and I mentioned this when the match got announced, is is I'm hesitant. Because like, I, I think these guys are capable of having an incredible match. I think these guys are obviously capable of having five-star matches, incredible stuff. To me, both of the both of the, the, the steps had me a little nervous, a little worried. I, I mentioned it when, I, when, we, when the match, you know, obviously when the match first got announced, that to me, like, when they say no time limit, that means they're going over 60. You know, they're not going 58 minutes. They're not going 45 minutes. Like, this thing is going over 60. I don't know if it's going 90. You know, that seems ridiculous. Maybe not. Maybe it's not that ridiculous, but they're going over 60. It's going to be longer than an hour. That's the reason they say the no time limit. And that might be an issue. I mean, when I look back at it, the Dominion match last year, the one that went to the hour time limit, in the moment, I really loved that match. I thought it was awesome. It was incredible watching them, unspoiled figuring out, okay, who's going to get this win? Who's going to get this win? Oh, shit, time ran out. But when I went back and watched that, it was actually my least favorite of the three because it's just 60 minutes. And you kind of know, as Joe, we always talk about this, where early on in a match, you realize, oh, God, this match is going to go 60 minutes. Or, oh, God, they're going to go on forever with this match or whatever. And it kind of hurts then when you sort of watch it from, from the second standpoint. Or it's just like, you know, it's just long. And, and you know, it's sometimes not longer isn't always better. Sometimes long is just long. And sometimes long becomes a slog or whatever. And that's my worry, too, is if they go 90 minutes. I am I fully believe that these guys, if any two guys in, in, in wrestling today can go 90 minutes and make it fucking awesome, it's these two guys. But that's hard to do. It's really hard to go 90 minutes and make it fucking awesome the entire time and not make me bored and not make me want to grab my phone or wonder what's going on or, or you know, go get distracted by something else. 90 minutes is a fucking long time to watch two dudes wrestle. And again, these are two guys that are two of my favorites, two of my absolute favorites in the world. But still, 90 minutes is a long time. So I'm a little worried about that. Um 
And I'm saying 90 minutes, they might go 63 or whatever, but I don't know. Like people are throwing out 90 minutes like that. That's kind of a, I don't think that's that ridiculous that they would go 90 minutes. Maybe they go 70 or whatever, but still that's a long fucking time to watch two guys wrestle. And then the two out of three falls. I dislike that because we kind of know the trope of, of two out of three falls matches in the wrestling world. And that's not to say that they're going to, uh, you know, adhere to those tropes or whatever, but it's one guy wins the first fall. Another guy wins the second fall. It's all about the third fall. I mean, that's obviously what they're going to do here. I mean, there's no, and, and Joe, maybe you can answer this. Is there any chance in hell that somebody just wins two of the falls and that's it? Like they win the first two falls. Like there's no chance in hell that happens, right? I think there's a chance for anything because this is a brand new step for Japan. Well, not brand new, but they very, very rarely, rarely. When's the last time we had best two out of three falls in New Japan? Man, I, I, mean, up, I think we figured it out, but it was a long, long, long time ago. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think anything's possible, and I think the stip will get over because of that because they don't see it all the time, and they're not going to be waiting around for sort of the, you know, like, you know, in, in Lucha, you see lazy th- best three out of falls match all the time. In the United States, sometimes uh, certain audiences will sit on their hands until the third fall because they know the first two are going to be 1 1. I think a New Japan crowd, since they haven't seen it, um, it's all new to them, and I think they're going to react to all the falls, and I think anything is possible. Okay, and that's fair, and that's that's, but that's just just where I'm at. Is I think I, I I like the idea of just a single fall being being the match, and that's always how I've, I've I've always looked at two out of three falls matches. It's like you know we know that to me, I, I don't know what the scenario is going to be. To me, the scenario is going to be one guy wins the one, one guy wins the other. It's all about the third, and to me, it's like we'll just skip the first two things and let's make it all about the one fall. You know what I mean? Like that's that's where I'm always at with two out of three falls matches. I just don't get the point unless you're going to have guys sweep it or. or or if they're good, but so that's my thing is like, let's just get to let's let have the whole match be the third fall. Let's the whole match be for that one fall and make it that much more enjoying. But again, like if anybody is going to make this stipulation, get over and make me enjoy the stipulation. It's these two guys. So, so that's where I'm at. Like the stipulations I don't like for a myriad of reasons because other things I've seen in wrestling, other examples, but these guys almost buck those trends because they're, they're fucking Okada and Omega. So like, that's where I'm at with this. So people I, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm like cautiously optimistic is what I said on Twitter is because I know that these guys are going to have a great match. I don't think they're going to disappoint, but a part of me is going to be kind of like, ah, please guys don't go, you know, 120 minutes. Don't go 80 minutes, you know, make it just a little over 60. Just kind of make the no time limit matter a little bit. And then also maybe make the falls matter a little bit more. And I think that they can do it, but it's still just a little bit of a worry to me. It's just because I don't love the two stipulations, but that's not saying by the end of it, I'm not going to absolutely love it because I I probably will. I just, I, I come in cautiously optimistic about it. No, I, I think that's fair. I mean, the thing about the stips for me is I don't know what to expect at all. I mean, I kind of alluded to it with the, with the two out of three fall deal where I think anything could happen. It's the no time limit that scares me because I think that Kenny Omega, I, I've said this and I firmly believe that he is a genius. I do believe that he is a genius, um, not only when it comes to wrestling, he's just a genius thinker um, because he thinks outside the box. But the thing about geniuses is sometimes they're a little wacky. And not everything that Kenny Omega concocts in his brain lands. And I do think that there have been times in his career where he's overly ambitious or he attempts things that, that just don't work. And giving him not only a two out of three fall to deal with, but also no time limit to work with. Right. When the gimmick that these two guys have had is that they have these matches that you know, uh, go on forever and ever and ever and sometimes don't have a conclusion or don't reach a conclusion until they're past it. I mean, he might come up with some wacky shit that just falls flat. We might be seeing Tully Blanchard in the ECW arena and a time limit draw with Shane Douglas where it just gets fucking shit on. It doesn't work because he might just get overly ambitious here and outthink himself and really just go completely 
over the head of the viewer at this time around and bore all of us to fucking tears or do something that's just so excessive that it it, it, it goes overboard and we can't enjoy it. That is right. a possibility. No, absolutely. It's a possibility. Because one of the guys that we bring up all the time is, is a guy like a Brian Danielson is another wrestling genius or whatever. And he's talked about many times the 80-minute match that he had or whatever with Austin Aries. He wanted to go 120. And he's realized, him and Aries are in the ring and they're realizing this is not working. We got to let this go. Like this is this is – we had this idea. We had this ambition. It's not fucking working. We got to go home now. And, you know, it's obviously 80 minutes into the match, but these guys had a plan to go 120. Like, these guys wanted to go for two hours. And it's like, and that's, you know, these are these guys. Like you said, sometimes you take these big risks. Like, and 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 Omega is absolutely one of those guys that I know. We talk about the thinking man's wrestler. He has not stopped thinking about how they can go whatever. I, I don't know. We, we have no idea what's in his head. It, it's, it's impossible to even try to figure out what's in his head. But we know his ambition. We know his drive. And we know like you said his genius and and that could be a detriment at times too and like you're saying that's that's where i'm worried that's where i'm worried that we're like a hundred minutes into this thing and it's like oh okay dude like we get it like i know i i understand what you're trying to do but like i'm i'm over it like i i got things to do man it's a saturday i got it so it's like one of those things where where that's where i'm kind of worried it's it's it could be incredible it could be like at the end of the 120 minutes i'm standing up and going oh my god i can't believe i just saw that or it's 120 minutes in, and I go, oh, thank God. That was two hours of my life that I'm never giving back. Like, I love these two guys. I love Omega, but, man, he got too ambitious or too big for his britches there. Because, like, that Austin Aries Brandon Dinosaur match, is, it, I, I don't really like it. I've watched it before, and I fucking hate it. Like, the, I don't even really – I mean, I'm kind of iffy on, like, the Punk Joe matches. And there was a while there where the indies were all about, like, the super long matches or whatever, the big, you know, super indies, you know, in the Ring of Honor and, and stuff. And IWA Mid-South did one, too. And I don't really like all those matches because they're just too long. Like, I don't really think that you need to tell a story that long. But these guys want to do it. These guys are ambitious. They, they they think that they can do it. They think they can tell it. And sometimes you can, but it, it's risky. And that's, that's where I'm a little... I don't know. That's why I'm a little cautious about this match is because I know Omega's thinking in his head, man, I got this. No time. I can do whatever I want. And sometimes that's not always the best. You know, sometimes it's good to be in the confines of something. Yeah. I mean, this is um, at the risk of looking very very stupid next week. Um, I'm not entirely confident that this will be a great match. And, you know, we're talking about Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada. (laughs) They've already had three great matches and they have great matches in their sleep. But I'm with you. The the time limit scares me. It scares me more than the two out of three falls. I'm not worried about that. Oh, I'm, make, I'm with you on that. Yeah, the two out of three falls they'll make work one, one way. Or make those I, very the time limit scares me. The time limit is scary. Absolutely. Um, you know, interesting. I did polls on Twitter, New Japan polls, and I asked, you know, who should end Okada's reign? And Omega was a runaway winner. Now, I don't know if that's like a recency bias thing since he's the one getting the title shot. But I mean, I was stunned at how much he ran away with that poll over Naito. Um, and then I also asked, do you think this match will go over or under 90 minutes? And, um, you know, I, I they, they, overwhelmingly people thought it will be under 90 minutes. I'm not so sure. I can yeah, see. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure they can hold my attention for 90 minutes without just a superhuman endurance athletic performance. I, I am. I am not going to come on here and praise a match where, you know, the second fall is 45 minutes long and it's a side headlock. I I can't do it. I can't sit through that. Um, Now, I don't think that they'll approach it that way. Kenny Omega is not going to approach any match that way. Um, That's just not who he is. But I would not be stunned if it's over 90 minutes at all. But I just hope that it's not. Um, One thing that I want to mention, then we'll talk about the other Dominion stuff here. Uh, There's been a lot of interesting stuff about... 
who's going to be at the ringside? The other stories going on with these guys. Obviously, you have Kenny Omega and Cody and their ongoing story. Uh, the stuff with Kota Bushi has been interesting, too, where people are asking him, hey, are you going to second Kenny Omega down to the ring? And these are all going on in the, the post-match promos that we're talking about on YouTube. And he's kind of said, hey, we'll see. I don't quite know. Do you make anything of that? Is that something where you kind of keep your eye on and go, okay, Kota, if, if Kota's the second, that means this. Did you read anything into that? Or are you worried, like, is Kota turning on Kenny Omega? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So, there's anything that happen in this fucking match. I have no idea what's going on. There's so many different wrinkles and so many different moving parts. But do you, does, does Kota Abushi's presence change anything to you? Does that make anything feel a little bit different if, if, if Kota Abushi's ringside? I wouldn't be stunned if Omega wins the title if they do an Omega Abushi, um, you know, title match. That, that wouldn't stun me at all. I think that match will draw big. Um, you know, Golden Lovers were hot for the first quarter of the year. It's cooled off a little now, but um, yeah, I think that match would draw. So if he's a ringside, it, I don't think it changes my opinion of who's going to win. But I do think that, do, can I see him stepping through the ropes and putting out a challenge? Yeah, I think that'd be cool as fuck. And I think that, I, I think that'd be an awesome match. And I, and I think it would draw too. Do you see any larger like American style story here where, where Kenny Omega turns on a Obushi or Obushi turns ah. on Omega or anything like that? They don't usually tell that story, but I don't know. Like there's a lot that can go on with these guys because Cody's involved, the Bucks are involved. Like, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I don't know. That's not usually what they tell on, especially not with these guys. But I don't know. I can't help but but think there's something a little weird going on with, with, with Coda. Probably too soon for something like that. And I don't think that even if Omega wins, that the IWGP title is going to be muddled up with the elite storyline. Right, um, right, right. I think New Japan will keep that stuff separate the best that they can. I don't, I don't think that you're going to see, you know, Cody angles and guys turning on each other like this is WCW <laughs> in 1990. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I just don't see. Kota swivels and the hips this- and hits Omega with a chair and shakes Cody's hand and Kota Bushi's the newest member of the Bullet Club. No, you're not. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, I'd be a little disappointed if they went that route. Um, now, if they want to do small angles within the elite to set up title matches and stuff, and and, and look, look, that's fine. But I, I wouldn't go full NWO. Yeah, that. no, I, I hopefully they don't. I'm really hoping they do not because I would not like that at all. But I think what, what they're good about is like looks. You know, what I mean, stares. It could be a subtle thing where. You know, Omega does something and Abushi gets in the way and they kind of look at each other. You know what I mean? Like nothing like he's going to sure. swivel the hips and hit him with the chair, but a little thing like, hey, like, you know, a little dissension maybe among the ranks or Cody comes out and and Abushi saves Omega and Omega fully leaves the Bullet Club. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like not necessarily affecting the match directly, but but little things that you can kind of little nuggets that you can sort of work into other stories as they go on. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I agree. All right, uh, so Dominion has some other matches on the show, too, which is pretty incredible. Joe, do you want to just go uh, – I think we should go top to bottom, right? Like, not. we don't need to talk about – let's talk about Naito and Chris Jericho, for God's sakes. IWGP yeah. Intercontinental title. Naito the champion, of course, defending against Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho sending in some promos via sketchy hotel rooms and his phone. But my God, if you have not watched those promos, they are fucking great. The promos to these two, they're all on YouTube for free and subtitled. Go watch them if you have not seen them. Incredible build going on with this match. Yeah, and it should be noted, there's not a single young lion on this show. There's not a single throwaway tag. Every single match is part of the larger canon of the stories being told in the company, and they all mean something, which this is just a fucking stacked show. It's almost as if, you know, like, you know, world-class tag teams sitting in their fucking office looking at people complain about how you can skip half of any New Japan show and like, we'll show these fuckers. Eh." You know, can't you just see Gato? (laughs) Yeah. And then he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Skip this match, Gaijin fool. Yeah, skip these matches. You know, I, I could totally fucking see that. Um, but 
Uh, but yeah, so anyway, we've got Naito and Jericho, which this is another match, which I think is interesting and can go either way. I think any of the titles on this show can change hands, and I wouldn't be shocked if they all change hands. And it's one of those things where people say, oh, well, oh my God, four or five title changes on one show. That's overkill. Rich, let me ask you a question. Why do people say that? What does it matter how many titles change on a show? Have you ever heard a good reason why it's bad to have a lot of title changes on one show? And where no, do you? It's just like a thing that people have just said. And I, no, I don't give a shit. I mean, if they all make sense, if they all that's have totally shit. Context, people, who cares? That's, yeah. that's shit. People say right that you there's too many title changes. Right, like you, you'll get two title changes in a WWE pay per view early, and you're like, well, there's no way that title's changing then. And and like a lot of times, that's not even true. It doesn't even it's not even yeah, back by fact. I don't think. And it's like, I think we're all guilty of it. I'm sure I've said it at some point too. So I'm not just sitting here saying that I'm some kind of brain genius that has never thought that way. But I think that's one of those things that wrestling fans get in their brain. And I don't know why we think these things. Why can't every title change on a show? Why is that a detriment in any form? I, I, I've never understood like why we think that or why we say that. And I've said it myself and I've said, well, why am I saying that? But anyway, this is one of those shows where I think a lot of fucking titles can change. Um, a title change is plausible. And any of these matches, including this one, I do think Jericho can win because if Jericho has signed on to do a match in San Francisco, obviously Naito Jericho two, where Naito wins the title back or Jericho defending against somebody like Tanahashi, which would also be a good idea. And then dropping the title there to someone like Tanahashi all makes sense. and would all be matches that would help fill the building. So I would not be shocked if Jericho wins. And again, I, I don't even think like, Again, I think this is a coin flip match. I really do think Jericho has that much of a chance to upset Naito. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I do too. And I think it makes all, a lot of business sense as well to move it to Jericho. And 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 Naito doesn't need the belt. You know what I mean? Like Naito, just, I mean, he he literally does not need the belt. He has no time for it. He has no. He doesn't give a shit about the belt. Whereas Jericho, I think it'd be cool to have it do that. And it, it would ramp up some of the San Francisco stuff. It would ramp up the future. And it would be cool because it would let us know that Jericho is at least for the time being going to do a few shots. I don't know if it's full. It's obviously not full time. He's not going to do, you know, a hundred, you know, he's not going to be working there for the next five years or whatever, but it lets us know that, okay, we're getting another Jericho match. At least we're getting at least one more. I think it'd be cool. And it would be big news. If I'm, if I'm new Japan and I'm looking at, okay, we got this, this, the San Francisco thing coming out. We got access. We got all this sort of stuff going on in America. I think having Chris Jericho win the title, you're getting headlines everywhere. You know, you know, it's, it's, but it's not necessarily like you're giving it to some guy just to get headlines. Cause it's still fucking Chris Jericho. It'd be fine if Chris Jericho won. But I think if you're looking at that, Chris Jericho wins IWGB. That's going to be a headline everywhere. It's going to be a big deal everywhere. And it's going to maybe, you know, help the San Francisco thing, maybe help whatever it is. And, and, and yeah, so I, I would hundred percent give it to Jericho. Uh, I think that's the best move. I just think Naito, Naito doesn't need the title. It's it's, there's no, he, he's above that title. I mean, Naito, I think is almost above every title. I don't even know that he needs the, the heavyweight title. I think he's kind of fine, but I, I, I agree. If you want to give him the heavyweight title, eventually that makes all the sense in the world. I think that is good to kind of be that jump off point. But I think where Naito's at right now, he can be just Naito. And I think people are going to buy merchandise and buy tickets regardless. And we know he doesn't need the IC title. We know he's above that. He just won it. And it, you know, it doesn't matter one way or another. So, so I'm into that. Um, Joe, the build, have, 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 what have you thought of this? Cause I, there's one thing that you and I, especially we love about processing builds is when you make the viewer, you don't you don't assume that the viewer is stupid as fuck. You don't assume the viewer has just started watching wrestling yesterday. That you assume the viewer can can kind of make their own stories up in their head sometimes and kind of you know get from point A to point B without you handholding them the entire time. Naito throws out just kind of a nonchalant line of, "Hey, you know, I went to the Super J Cup in in 1997, and you know, Jericho, you were there, but I don't remember what you did, and I don't think you really did much." Or I forget the exact wording that he said, like, "Oh, you weren't in the main event or, or the main event or whatever." And people saw that as kind of a throwaway line. He was just kind of shading Jericho or whatever. Well, Jericho. 
Jericho comes back and says, yeah, you know, I wasn't in that match, that main event or whatever. But you know what main event I was in? Wrestle Kingdom 12. I was in the main event. It was, you know, the Alpha versus the Omega. And the, like the knife, the little stab there. And we knew that was, we talked about it at Wrestle Kingdom, that that could always be kind of a, a something in the back of, uh, of Jericho's, you know, he could always use that ammo of, hey, you know, I was in the main event. You know that, right? Like, you didn't have your own main event. Like, you, you, you shared a main event with me, but really everybody talked about Alpha and Omega. Like, I love that little caveat. It was like one little line that Naito throws away weeks ago that we're just kind of like, oh, that's kind of funny. Jericho uses it as, as the basis of his promo and then calls Naito a fuckface. I, those those promos were fucking awesome, but I loved the little bit of history there where Naito, in, imagine fucking, and again, I don't, I'm not picking on WWE, but I kind of am, but like imagine somebody bringing up something from fucking 30 years ago or 20 years ago in a WWE promo. 20 years ago, yeah. And that being, you know, the the the, the, the jump off point for this, the, the, the match that's happening right now. As a way for Naito to discredit him, like I don't care about this guy; he's a fucking undercard. Right. I went to go see you as a kid, and I don't even know what you were. You were kind of you weren't even in the main event. You were just there in the match. Yeah, I guess you're all right. You're fine. I don't really know who you are. And then Jericho sticking the knife in Naito's back because Naito's whole long, long term arc has been main eventing and winning the title of Wrestle Kingdom. So it's it's yeah. Look, Jericho is fucking brilliant, and this week he had a presence on a New Japan show on WWE TV on Ring of Honor TV, and on Impact. <laughs> what a god. What a Next to Jarrett's, there's no better worker in the world than uh, Chris Jericho, but we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> Double J later. He's, he's getting talked about in four companies simultaneously. It's, it's incredible what he does to remain relevant and, and making money, it's not just it's not just getting talked about. Like everything directly gets him paid. You know what I mean? Like the Fozzie song, the Jericho cruise, this mat. Like that's it too. It's not just he's getting people talking about him. He's always parlaying it into something. He's always making money off of it. It's it's yeah. it's nuts. Yeah, you know it's it, it really is, and I I think that um, he's smart enough, and we know that these negotiations weren't easy. We were told directly from New Japan that from people in New Japan that there was times where they were just moving on without Jericho because the negotiations were rough from a money and scheduling point of view, but they got it done. And um, you know Jericho's going to do tough, hard business, and and. You know, maybe they locked him up for two more than one match. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But I think a Tanahashi match would be interesting. Very interesting. And I think another Naito match would be interesting. Look, Chris Jericho is not going to work with Hanare. Okay. He's, he's, he's going to take on these huge matches. And, um, you know, and he's going to do them for, for big money. So, um, yeah, I do think he can win. We'll see. I don't think it matters, though. Chris Jericho can lose every match he wrestles. Eventually, you're going to have diminishing returns, but it's going to take a while. No one's going to. No, it won't because matter. It's going to be years until people even notice. Yeah, I mean, it, matches. because he's such a good promo and he builds the matches so well that it doesn't it doesn't fucking matter that he lost to Omega. I, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, oh, did he mention? And, and, and the cool thing, too, and the thing that we love about pro wrestling, too, and our, I love it, is that Jerko didn't say, well, I went, uh, you know, I faced Kenny Omega and I lost or whatever. He just to him, it's like I was in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like, Because why would he bring that up? Great. Like, he doesn't bring like, ah, whatever, water under the bridge. Who fucking cares? I was in the main event, baby. Like, you know, it's it's. And, and we say, like, you know, sometimes I get mad when guys don't get upset about losing, like, the night after or whatever. But for Jericho, it kind of works because the character is that he's this rock star. He's this delusional rock star that thinks so highly of himself that to him, it's like, I don't even remember if I won or lost. doesn't matter. I got paid and I was in the main event, baby. Like, that's that's all that matters. And you know who I am because I'm a, I'm a superstar. I'm a worldwide, internationally renowned superstar. And that's Naito's 
saying, I don't know who you are, who the hell are you, whatever, I've never even heard of you, whatever. And Jericho's like, oh, you know who I am. I know you know who I am. And that, that's that's a cool little build, though. But yeah, he doesn't bring up, oh, yeah, I lost, because it doesn't matter. He's a delusional rock star. It doesn't matter if he loses. Yeah, nobody cares. No one cares. Um, and, and nor should they. But uh, but yeah, uh, great build. Um, we'll see if they can have a great... Well, look, with Jericho, he's 48 fucking years old. You can never sit there and say, I know this is going to be great. Um, you know, so you know, we'll see about that. But I don't even think that matters. You know, the only way it matters is if it's awful, and there's no way it'll be awful. They'll find a way to make right, sure right, it's not right, awful. Right, right, yeah. Uh, so we've got Osprey defending against Takahashi. One, one real quick thing: uh, it's going to be yeah. great in San Francisco if if Jericho comes there when the entire crowd's chanting "fuckface" at people. Like he's going to get fuckface over. That's the, just messing around, and he's going to get an entire arena to chant "fuckface" at a certain point. And that's going to yeah. be incredible. And, when I, and I think that they they. They need them for San Francisco, and I and I hope they get them too for, because um, you know I'd like the show to be successful, and I'd also like to see him wrestle in New Japan and on this continent. But there's always that thing floating around where he has this handshake deal with Vince McMahon not to work in the United States. So we'll see if that's true or not. Yeah, David, um, David alluded to that a few months ago where, where he says, you know, Jericho has sort of has always been pretty transparent to Vince that like, hey, I'm doing this yeah. thing in New Japan. I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing. But I'll never, you know, I won't compete directly against you in America. Like, I'll, let me go do all this stuff, but I'm not going to go to New Japan proper. Or I'm not going to do anything in America that would directly right. compete with you. But, you know, it's Chris Jericho. He's a worker, man. Like, you know, fuck it. If, if the opportunity I mean, comes, that. do it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think he may even mean that. But any check is big enough to get you to exactly. say, you know what, right. Vince will forgive me. Um, and, and, you know, Vince forgives everyone. Um, unless you're Randy Savage because you fucked his daughter. Oh, I don't think anyone really believes that happened anymore, do they? Oh, no, they do. I think they still do. People still believe that? They still do, yeah. And there's a lot of, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of... I, you I, still believe I still believe it, for sure. You think Randy Savage Everybody fucks- else has come back. Every single person in every yeah. universe has come back. And, and, and Pritchard will talk about it. He says that the Randy Savage didn't come up and it would just be no. We're not talking about Randy anymore. And like everybody came back, you know, everybody he was fine with every Hulk Hogan fucking tried to <laughs> like Jesse Ventura. Super really great. Randy did something. What possibly could Randy Savage have done to never where you couldn't even bring his name up or Vince? He just said it, it was understood that you just do not bring his name up. Yeah. I mean, other people tried to put him in, in jail. And he came. It was like, oh, whatever. Come on back. I don't know. But Randy should have been really, should have been really fucking young. She would have been really fucking young. I don't know, man. It's it's. We're it's, talking about like a fifteen-year-old here. I believe so. Yeah, it's 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 weird. And and I we think, are and, and we are talking about wrestling, right? But, but I mean, still, we're talking about like a fifteen-year-old. Yeah, anyway. I don't know. I, I like I don't know. It's just there has to be something. And what could it be? I mean, people like I said, people have tried to put him in jail. People have tried to put him out of business. People have done this. I don't believe that Randy Savage going to WCW and and like you know. Would have been enough for it to happen. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's 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 very interesting. Maybe he's really upset about the Slim Jim deal or something. <laughs> Willow Spray and Hiromu. Now with this match, um, Hiromu's coming off so hot from that uh, Bezos Super Juniors, and when you consider that he already lost to Will during this run, it would have to be a second loss to Osprey for Osprey to retain. But the thing is, on the other hand, Will Osprey is having such a good title run. And he's over with fans and he's, he's already done angles to set up future matches. So we know that the Ishimori match has been set up. They've set up a Rey Mysterio match. The last time that they were in Long Beach, Uh, Will said he wanted to defend against Rey Mysterio. He has basically shot two angles for two future title defenses, but yet here we have Hiromu who's super hot again. 
I sound like a broken record. I don't think there's a wrong fucking booking decision here. Because if Osprey wins, you've still got the Ishimori and, and Rey Mysterio stuff to tend to. And if Hiromo wins, well, yeah, he's avenging the prior loss to Will Ospreay, and he's the hot hand. So, again, I don't think there's a wrong booking decision, and I wouldn't be upset with either one of them. Um, I'm a bigger Will Ospreay fan than I am a Hiromu fan, so my, my fan part of me will root for Will Ospreay. I'm not going to be mad if he loses, um, because I would like to see Will Ospreay defend against Boner and against Rey Mysterio Jr. I'd really like to see Will Ospreay defend against those two guys. But with that said, I can't kill them if they go back to Hiromu here. So what do you think? And, you know, forget it. The match is going to be – this is one of those matches that's going to be so fucking oh, good. But the thing I is, I think even. the expectations are so high that who, this might be one of those matches that has impossible to clear bars. Yeah, I, th- I think these two dudes could do it. Come on. <laughs> we lost right Hiromu. Like, I, Jesus. I, I think this is one that I'm like – I'm not even cautiously optimistic. Like, I, I'm positive this match is going to fucking rock, and it's going to be incredible. And, and this is one that I alluded to even more so in the main event. I mentioned earlier that there's a match, another match coming up this weekend that I'm probably going to go five at uh, just, just based off my expectations. And I think it's this one more than Okada and Omega because I'm still, there's things that worry me about Okada and Omega. There's nothing that worries me about Osprey and Romo. But um, this is another one that I've wavered on a lot. And like, yeah, I said, like, it's kind of like a broken record. I'm trying to think about this. Okay, well, this is the obvious answer. This guy should definitely do it or whatever. And th- this is, to me, Harum was so hot right now. That I feel like it would just it, it just kind of stinks if he doesn't win this. Like he should win it. But man, Osprey's having a hell of a run too. And like you said, he's already shot angles. So it's like it makes all the sense in the world to have Osprey win and then Hiromu can go back at it again. But if I'm them, I'm I'm striking while the iron's hot. Hiromu is on fire right now. Hiromu's just coming off the best of super juniors. I go with Hiromu and I worry about you know getting those matches back together later with, with, with Osprey, but I don't love it because I love the run that Osprey's on. I just kind of wish this match wasn't happening right now. I'm not ready for it yet, Joe. I'm ready for this match to happen in, in six months or whatever, but I'm not ready for it now. I wish Roma would have just done something else for a few months. I'm just not ready because there's so much stuff with Osprey that I still want with this title, but I can't imagine Hiromu not winning this title right here. You, you know, it's I'm so conflicted with this with this result. I have no idea. It's going to work regardless, but I, I just I don't feel happy about either one of them. This isn't a company that is known for changing their long-term booking on a whim or because something happened. They're known for sticking to their plans. And it sure seems to me, it sure seems to me that they've set up two more title matches minimum for Osprey. And don't forget that months and months ago, I mean, I'm talking March, we were told that Will Osprey versus Rey Mysterio Jr. was set for for, uh, Cal Palace. And then they shot the angle in Long Beach. So... I mean, if that was their plan to make Willow Spray Ray Mysterio one of the featured matches for the Cow Palace, I mean, it seems like they're still on that path here. I mean, you could have, um, hypothetically, in the next match we're going to talk about, Mysterio score the fall, which I think he probably will. I think he'll pin Marty Skrull. Um, uh, either that or Liger's taking the fall from the other side. But you could have Mysterio pin Marty Skrull because they shot an angle too at Long Beach. And then have Mysterio come out and challenge Will Spray officially after the following match. I mean, that's just me throwing an idea out there, but I mean, it's, it would be odd of this company to set up a couple of matches and then not deliver them. They normally don't operate that way. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, it's going to be a fucking great match. Um, the floor here is four stars. That's the floor. I mean, if they have a four star match, people are going to be disappointed, which is crazy to say. Um, you know, it's going to be a, a ridiculously great match. And this is why this is going to be such a great show. All of these finishes are intriguing. 
that's the other thing. You have these great matches and finishes that are totally up in the air. It's going to be an incredible show. Which the, the first three, the, the, the top three matches that we talked about, you could either result <laughs> any of the, you know, the any of the yeah. six guys can win, and we'd be fine with it. There's justification for it. There's a, a plan. There's there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's something like we just like six guys <laughs> in the first three matches, and it's like, yeah, that could happen. That could happen. That and I don't know. I I, I honestly, if you wanted gun to my head to try to predict this, I. I I don't know if I can do it. I waver on every one of these matches on a daily yeah. basis. And that's that's awesome. I'm going to go into this saying, I don't know. I'm going to sit down and see what happens. Like, tell tell the stories and let me just watch it. it it's going to be pretty fun. So that six-man match, do, do you agree that, you know, you can have Mysterio score the fall on Marty Skrull who, who attacked them with the fucking uh, – um, they did that whole angle in Long Beach. I forget who attacked who, but it was all the juniors were in there challenging mm-hmm. each other. But but then again, Liger is always happy to take falls. But is this one of those situations where Liger shouldn't take a fall because he valiantly saved Tanahashi from Marty and they set up this six-man? And obviously Mysterio should win in his New Japan debut. So, And on the other side, I mean, I guess you can beat Hangman. You're not going to beat Cody. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say beat no, Hangman. You're not me, Cody. You can beat Hangman, I guess, but they usually beat the junior here. And and if you're going to do that, why not do it with Mysterio and give him some shine? You, you know, know, I didn't think of that. Yeah, I didn't think of Marty as the junior here, but you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, Mysterio over Scroll. Because my initial thought was Mysterio over over Hangman, but like you're saying, there, there's a junior in the match, so that would be the one that you would do, and and that makes the most logical storyline sense too for Mysterio to be the one. So yeah, I, I'm with that. I think Mysterio, one way or another, is getting the fall, whether it be Hangman or Marty. But but Marty makes a lot of sense. And then if they do that, then why not have Will win the next match and deliver on that match in San Francisco like they've been planning all along? So I don't know. There's a lot of dominoes that are going to mm-hmm. fall here. But look, I'm just happy about two things. They're doing, they're giving some of these juniors something to do that don't involve the title. Jushin Liger has a, a program going. Marty Skrull has something. He attacked a heavyweight, and he has a little program. Normally, if the juniors aren't involved in the title match, they're just in some meaningless fucking match in the beginning. of the But this has... Some storyline behind it, and I'm um, and I'm happy about that. It's fourth from the top, and and Liger's doing something somewhat important and relevant. And I'm sure they had to drag him kicking and screaming into it, um, you know, because he doesn't he's not interested in doing anything at this point, um, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean that just shows the depth of this card, where this match is ahead of the tag team title match, where we have Sonata and Evil defending against the Young Bucks. This is not the Young Bucks' first crack at the heavyweight tag team titles. A lot of people may have forgotten, but they did challenge the Briscoes some time ago. That was when New Japan was flirting with dropping the weight designation, and they actually did drop it. It's officially the IWGP tag team titles now. But the Bucks challenged for those as juniors. This is their first challenge as heavyweights. My take on this, they don't need to win this. It's too soon for them to win this. I like the run that Sonata and Evil are on, but would it shock me if they won it? Absolutely not. But here's why I don't think they will. Sonata and Evil, if they lose, then what do they do? They got nothing going on as singles guys. Now, the Bucks, even if they lose this match, they still have those dopey trios titles that they can concentrate on. That you know, they could just put those guys with 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 Skrull and they could defend the trios titles, you know, sixth from the top on uh, you know, all of the matches on all of these cards for the rest of the year. So it's not like the Bucks will be left with nothing to do. I don't know what you do with Sonata and Evil if they lose here, other than a rematch with the Bucks. Yeah, where I stand with it is is, is I, I'm right with you. What 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 do you do then with Evil and Sonata? Whereas the Bucks, I don't know that you necessarily need them to have the titles. I think it might help if they have the titles, maybe a little bit. But but you know, people are going to come watch the Young Bucks whether they're holding titles or not. Like you said, they're holding the never open weight, so they have titles at least to show off. To me, I think it's it, it would be. 
I, I don't know. I don't like the idea of them winning the title. So I think Evil and Sonata have so much more to give that division and so many more things that they can do. Whereas the Bucks, they just don't need them. I think the Bucks are above them. The Bucks at this point in their lives are they're going to draw and people are going to go see them. And they're the characters enough without those titles. I don't think they really matter that much to them. I don't think it really matters to the characters that much. Where Evil and Sonata, like you said, are building up something here. They're really growing as a team and they're really putting some some emphasis on this division and and, and having some fun matches and doing some fun stuff. Whereas the Bucks, they get it and it's it's just a showpiece for the Bucks. It's just something to be on being the elite it's something for them to bring out to the san francisco show it's something for them to bring around or whatever and kind of cart around but it doesn't it doesn't do anything for the the, the, the titles it doesn't really enhance anybody whereas evil and Sonata, i think do more with the titles so to me i would not give it to the bucks it wouldn't shock me if the bucks win but i would 100 not give it to the bucks i would keep it on evil and Sonata for sure yeah they can keep busy with the never open way titles and they can keep busy with the elite stuff so they really don't need it but again it's another match where you could easily see the title change. Same thing with this one. Goto defends against Michael Elgin and Taichi in a three-way. This is wacky. Um, these guys have all been feuding with each other. I don't know who the fuck is going to win this thing. Um, it really doesn't matter who wins this match. Um, you know, I would prefer a singles match, obviously. Either Goto Elgin would be my preferred match, but Goto Taichi's fine. Um, the one thing is Taichi has promised if he wins that he will defend against juniors. Well, he didn't word it that way. He said he will pick on the juniors if he wins the title. Uh, so it'll truly be open, open weight, which people have been hoping for since they've rolled the fucking thing out and they've never really treated it that way. Um, I don't know. I don't have much else to say about this other than it's wacky. Um, and we'll see who comes away with the belt. Yeah, that's, that's my, <laughs> that's my preview too. I just kind of shrug and say, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, hopefully not Elgin, but we'll see. So we've got Tomohiro Ishii and Toru Yano. They've been teaming um, on basically every show and winning all of their matches. I don't know why they're not getting a tag team title shot. Uh, they face Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr., who are the Rev Pro tag team champions. Now, look, they're setting up Ishii versus Suzuki for Rev Pro. I get it. But why not make this for the Rev Pro tag team titles? I mean, you would think Suzuki and Sabre are going to win. Yano obviously has taken a fall here probably at the hands of Suzuki. So unless Ishii and Yano are winning for some reason, there's really no reason not to put those titles up. You know, you give Rev Pro a call. I'm sure they're not going to give a shit. Um, so that's a little odd. But yeah, this is going to build towards the eventual Ishii-Suzuki match in Rev Pro, which will be a killer match for their version of the world title. Uh, do you kind of see it like me? You think Suzuki and Sabre win here, and then we get another stare down between Suzuki and Ishii. Yeah, I'm about the same with that one. That's that's probably where that's going to go as well, and and that's fine. It, it, it's going to be fun, and like you said, this is like you know the, the the third from the bottom match, and it's like Ishii and Yano against Suzuki and Saber. I mean, that's going to be pretty fun. But no, I agree. That's exactly what it, what what's probably going to happen here. Yeah, you just don't have any of that. Cra- you don't have like a Togi Makabe eight man with with Shota Uminu on this show. Like everything is meaningful and everything should be at minimum pretty good. We've got uh, Juice Robinson and David Finley against uh, United States champion Jay White and Yoshihashi. This just screams Juice Robinson uh, scoring the fall to set up a United States title match in probably Cal Palace, but I guess it could take place on the uh, whatever that next tour is, that dopey tour that they do in between uh, after this tour. Um, you kind of see it the same way. You think the uh, juice is next in line to challenge for Jay White's title. Uh, I do because I don't know any other scenario that quite works. I think like, you know, Jay White defeating Finley again is like, okay, you can do that story, but then where, you know, who is Jay White facing against? I think all the signs point to, I mean, Yoshiashi is just there. We don't really have to care about him at all. I think all the signs point to, as you said, juice pins Jay White, or uh, even if Jay White gets the win, uh, Juice and him are always battling. You know what I mean during during the match or whatever. But, but I think Juice or, Ju- or Juice or Juice. 
Or Juice just beats Yoshihashi and challenges Jay White. Mm-hmm. You can do that too. Yeah. So uh, then we've got the opener, which is for the junior tag. Ag titles. This feud has been great. They had great matches in the Super Juniors against each other. Despi and Kanemaru defend against Rapongi 3K. I'm the most confident in this result of all the tag of all the uh, title matches on the show. I think Rapongi 3K. I'm 90% certain they win the titles back. Um, it's time, and uh, that's what I see here. This, this is the this. I, I if, if I had to put confidence points on it, uh, this would be. The uh, the one match after look, I think Suzuki and Saber are definitely winning. But behind that one, and behind maybe the match we just talked about, would be Rapongi 3K are winning the titles back here. What do you think? I think it's a lock that they're winning the titles back, and and that's probably the best move anyway for for everybody. And I think showing you know, it's probably time for them to win the titles back anyway. You know they've had a bunch of reigns here, and it it, it it seems like it's been like I mean it's shit. It is like what three four reigns or whatever the hell they've had already. Two, but two, uh, it's two. only been two. Okay, all right. So this will be the third. But well, whatever. I think the titles need to go back to them. I think that's probably the best move uh, for everybody. Involved. So yeah, I, I agree. That's probably where it's going. So that's Dominion. This is a loaded fucking show. And on paper, it's a show of the year contender if, if everything delivers the way it should. Um, yo, this is a more loaded show than like Wrestle Kingdom was because top to bottom, there's just no filler here. Um, and everything looks like it can be good at minimum and fucking phenomenal, you know, if it tops out that way. So really looking forward to it. And barring Vince McMahon's death. Um, you know, this is the review is going to lead off our show next week. <laughs> well, I mean, we really, what else can get yeah, in the way of that? Yeah, we'd have to start with Vince's death, for sure. But um, no, you're right. That Dominion's probably, probably going to be it, short of, you know, WWE sold to, uh, what if WWE sold to like a, a, a uh, contingency of like rich Saudis? Would that lead off? Um, It would depend how good Dominion yeah, is. Yeah, Dominion, that's uh, like a good show, so... All right, Joe, let's move on to uh, interesting here. I think we got some fun stuff about this, the uh, Punk Colt Cabana trial, uh, Punk all in, some f- interesting stuff coming from that. So, of course, the uh, this is from the Wrestling Observer this year, the uh, this week, uh, the three-year legal battle between CM Punk, Colt Cabana as defendants in a defamation lawsuit brought on by WWE physician Dr. Dr. Christopher Amon ended uh, yesterday, or, or a few days ago, we're recording this on the 7th, this happened on the 5th, uh, with the jury ruling against Amon, ruling that he was entitled to no damages. Uh, Amon's attorneys were asking for about 398 Eight nine million, whatever it doesn't matter. About a little under four million. Uh, they came up with the number exactly based off one dollar per listener of the Colcabana podcast, which is a interesting way to go about it. Um, yeah, some interesting stuff from this trial. I don't think we need to break it down extensively. There was some good stuff. I know uh, uh, David Bixon's band did a good piece uh, at Deadspin uh, this week's Wrestling Observer. Digs into it a lot, but Joe, kind of overall thoughts of what you've taken away from the trial, what this trial means, some stuff that you've kind of dug into with this one. My only takeaway is we could talk all kinds of shit about people the way we always have, and it's it's great, and no one can sue us because they'll lose. So uh, we could keep calling people dopes, and, uh, and and we can get away with it. That's why they're bad at their jobs. Yeah, we can tell them they're bad at their jobs too. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, and listen, listen, I really didn't give a shit about this trial as it was going on. Sure, I was curious who was going to win and who was going to lose and those sorts of things. Um, I thought Punk should have won, and he did win. Um, but beyond that, if Punk would have lost, I mean, I, I don't know. I really wasn't following it day to day, other than the, you know, for the for the jokey sh- 
reasons that everybody else was fought for just the, the pure absurdity that was coming out of the trial. Yeah. And um, if, if you follow it, like Eamon's side was just a clown show the entire yeah. time, which is pretty bad considering like he probably had more legit attorney. I, I don't know. I don't know the legit. I, I don't know. But like from his standpoint, he's coming from the big company. Apparently, you know, Punk seems to think that WWE kind of funded a lot of this and, and really was hoping that that Eamon would go out there. And they had, I mean, they couldn't get the right text messages up. Like they asked Eamon what really, what damages he have. And he was like, well, people call me names sometimes. It's like, all right, well, that's not enough, dude. Like, like, so nothing's changed with your job. Financially, nothing's changed, but sometimes people say stuff to you sometimes. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, come on, man. Like, that's not enough to have a defamation lawsuit. Like, so it was just clown. The Eamon side was clown shoes almost from day one, and they never had anything, it seemed like. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Punk, um, I have no doubt that Punk, you know, exaggerated some things and because he's a bullshitter too. Um, but yeah, there just wasn't enough. Oh, here we'll get to, to re- that. We'll get to that in a sec. But yes. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, there wasn't enough here to reward this guy $4 million. I mean, it's patently absurd. So, um, you know, I, he deserved to lose and I hope he has to pay their court fees as well and, and, and just, just utter nonsense. But it did provide some comic relief. Uh, you know, for wrestling fans for a couple of days at least. So Yeah, and CM Punk's ass has never been more discussed by uh, hundreds of dozens of people had to come in and talk about the lump on uh, CM Punk's lower back and ass. So that was pretty uh, pretty interesting there. But <laughs> every day you get fucking canes. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I just, you know, I, just don't want, I just got in the Royal Rumble and threw him out, man. I don't know about the lump on his ass. Like, who the fuck knows? So, uh, yeah. But like I said, yeah, Dave had a really good thing in this week's Observer and uh, David Bixon's fan as well at Deadspin had a, had a good thing. If you're Because there's a lot of like fun little nuggets. We don't have to get to them here. They're, I mean, they're just kind of fun little things where people talking about lumps and and this and that or whatever but yeah for the most part it was uh, a slam dunk for punk and cabana i mean they they completely destroyed amen in this courtroom it doesn't interest me all that much i i don't know sometimes these non in-ring topics come up and I'm, I'm either super into them or i just don't care all that much i just i don't know i want to talk about wrestling matches man you know yeah. i don't know I, I don't really i i kick it into the courtroom shit it just no, I'm, I'm with you too i'm with you too because people are like oh it's in chicago are you gonna go and like a no i can't because i have a job and then b like i don't know do i really want to sit in a courtroom and like hear guys talk about you know when you know doctors talk to him in the match or whatever. I, I don't know i don't really care it's fun for a little bit it's run to read fun to read in like an overview but i don't know it was really it was much, it was so. kind of interesting as they broke down you know what went down during that Royal Rumble match. I found that um, somewhat interesting, but in terms of who was going to win and who's going to lose, I it, yeah. It, well, I mean, I, I, dude, the thing that you said, the thing I was most fascinated about was okay, can like talking shit about a podcast get you sued for defamation? And yeah, like, yeah. especially Cole Cabana, who's like, well, dude, like I didn't say anything, man. Like, so hosting a podcast where somebody says something about someone can get you sued for de- defamation too. That's bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like if that happened, yeah. that's what I was really hoping for is like, I hope that like, even if they say, they say, okay, punk, you know, you can't say that. So you owe whatever, but Colt, you're out of this. But if Colt got like dragged into it, it'd be like, Whoa, yeah. hold on a minute. Like Gold is just there. Like you can't, I really, you can't, I mean, Jesus, that'd be really yeah, a lot. You- if, if- what a guest says on your podcast that seems bizarre to me too right i mean so that that's i was kind of looking from that standpoint because it's like oh boy maybe we gotta be a little more careful on this show or whatever but we're good so we're gonna talk all the shit we want so i could keep burying every single one of you and uh, you know with no uh with no cause but uh let's see so we have uh what was more interesting to me was some of the post uh Mm -hmm. you know trial interviews that punk did with some of these various outlets and i know that's what we want to dig into we have been sitting on an all-in scoop or maybe it's not a scoop i don't know regarding we've been sitting on all-in slash punk information for what about a month about that yeah 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 so 
okay, let's break down what we were randomly told by a source that has never let us down. Has this source ever let us down? Ooh, personally or professionally? <laughs> with a with a scoop. Okay, no, no, they have not. Yeah. Um, never let us down with a scoop. And in fact, has provided us with some of our biggest scoops, perhaps our biggest scoop of all. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so very casually, uh, we were told that Punk is all in about a month ago. Um, not to participate in a match, obviously. UFC is not going to let him do that. But um, would be on the show in some capacity. Uh, with the caveat, Rich, and correct me if I got this wrong, because this was about a month ago, and I didn't do my prep here. Um, the caveat was if the UFC fight was an utter embarrassment, he wasn't going to show up at all. Is that kind of the gist of what you got out of it? If I'm right. I, th- I think – I don't know if the words were necessarily that. I think it was it depends on the UFC fight. And when we asked it depends – the, the source kind of said, and I think this is what most people would believe, is that you know if it's a if if, if Punk goes out there and just destroys whatever this show what's this show Demark Jackson or whatever I, whatever it doesn't Mike, matter Mike Jackson Mike Jackson not he's not a former NBA <laughs> head coach and current commentator Mark okay no, so if he goes out there and like slaughters this guy smooth criminal Mike Jackson okay so if he goes out there and slaughters this guy the thriller Mike Jackson okay. the ex uh, no the ex uh, reliever the uh, many many uh, times over. Like that, he had like a twenty-year MLB career. That's this guy, uh, the last man to wear number forty-two since they right. retired. Right, exactly. Yeah, he was for so long. He was Jackie grandfathered Robinson. into the Jackie Robinson thing. That would have like, been Mariano, Mariano Rivera, actually, but Mike Jackson. Oh, as well. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Mike, he kept it for a while there. I saw, I saw way too many Mike Jackson games in my life. He played pitch for the White Sox for a few years, and it was uh, interesting. But uh, yeah, he uh, he wasn't very good. But Will he hung around for a while. Anyway, so if he goes, at the, I guess the caveat that we were given essentially was it depends on the fight, which, and we sort of said, well, what do you mean it depends? And and I think the two things were if he gets utterly embarrassed and destroyed, laughably destroyed, that he's probably just going to, you know, go away and go in the shadows for a little while and, and kind of chill out. Or if he completely destroys this guy, you know what I mean? Like, amazing, and then it's like, oh, shit, okay, maybe Punk is a fighter. That's the sense that I got, that, that there are... If the two extremes happen, if he goes out there and has an okay match and just loses and, and gives it his all and and is almost there but just can't quite do it, then he can still kind of show his head, show his face, and that's then that's a scenario where he he makes an appearance or does something. Or if he gives it a good effort but just can't win, or he gives a good effort, maybe he does win or whatever. But the, to me, the extremes are what, what would keep him out is that he gets completely pounded or he does amazingly well, and then it might be, hey, I don't need this pro wrestling thing. I might be able to do this UFC thing. That's where I kind of led. At least that's how I read it, how the source told us, that it depends on the fight in either of the extremes. It depends. But that's just all our conjecture because we didn't really get a clear answer on what Right. Um, you know, because the person just didn't know. They were just uh, telling us what, what they were told. So, um, you know, so we'll see. But um, then what happened was after we were told that, he was announced for the pro wrestling tease thing. Correct. So then what I was thinking was, okay, now wait, hold on. Maybe the wires are crossed here and that's what this person meant by punk is all in the pro wrestling tease appearance. So then we were debating whether to talk about it on air or not. But then for, for me that sealed it shut. I said, well, I'm not bringing it up on air because they could have meant the pro wrestling tease appearance, which is very different than showing up at the wrestling show. Of course. Yeah, for sure. But now in, you know, the post trial stuff, he did an interview, punk did an interview with wrestle zone, uh, scoops with a Z and uh, they asked him straight up if Punk will be all in and Punk's answer was just one word it was no 
with a smirk looking directly into the camera. Um, look, the words Punk says when he gives that answer mean nothing. I think you read into his body language. What do you think? What did you take away from that Russell Zone interview? Oh, he's fucking all in. <laughs> I mean, it's he. The, the the question is kind of like you know the Russell Zone guy kind of jokingly brings it up, like like it it, it seemed like I, and I don't know, I I'm not sure, and I, I forget who it was exactly that I believe it was Nick from from Russell Zone. I forget his last name. It doesn't matter. Nick Hausman, I believe is his name. Um, brought it up from 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 Russell, and and he kind of says, okay, Punk, you know, I I gotta ask this, and like the I, the phrasing because all the other interview was pretty organic or whatever, and it felt like the last question, and and maybe I don't know, I don't know if you're wrong, and I don't know if we're like getting too deep into this, and we're like looking at the linguistics like, of it or whatever, but it felt like the answer was very much like, all right, Punk, you know, I gotta ask this, like, are you all in? And Punk looks at the camera and goes, no, and then immediately smiles. You know, I, to me, that's fucking all in, right? That's a pro wrestler. Look at this point, based on that, with you know, I, I I'll weigh all the options. I'm going to think about you know my future. Right now, I'm focused on the fight, and you know, I I I understand that the thing is here. I understand about all you know. There's a way to sort of dance around it, where it's it's you're not necessarily saying no, you're not necessarily saying yes, but you're saying you know I'm weighing all my options. We'll see. I have no idea what the future holds, but the straight up no, with like a smirk and a look. The look at the camera too. What is that? Yeah, he might I as well think, have winked with like a, a a sparkle coming up on the wink. You, you know, it was like I hear you. I mean, that combined with one of our best sources, arguably our best source, who never leads us down the wrong path, telling us uh, what's the date. I just pulled it up. You know, back on you know May 9th, telling us that Punk is all in. Um, you know, and you know having some level of detail on it too, leads me to believe that. I, I'm not saying he's definitely going to show up at the show. I would say that I would not be shocked at all if he does. I think if he takes a beating from, uh, you know, any are you okay, Mike Jackson, I don't think he'll show up. I think he'll his ego will be bruised. He'll be embarrassed. He's not going to show up. If he wins that fight or at least has a decent showing um, and he shows up at all in, it will not stun me at all based on what we've been told. Um, you seem to think he's showing up. I do. And, and another reason, too, and, and, and not that, that Cody explicitly said this, but it, when I had the chance to interview Cody uh, after the all in press conference, I asked, you know, OK, well, yeah, obviously punk. Like, you know, that's the thing that everyone's going to ask. And somebody asked in the press conference as well. But the press conference was kind of, you know, obviously a big yaha or whatever. But this is a moment where Cody, I said, you know, obviously the show's in Chicago. I'm sure you've talked to punk. And he goes, well, yeah, of course you've talked to punk. It, it, it's Chicago. Like, how, of course, you're going to talk to him. And then quickly said, but, you know, the fights fights is focused or whatever. Not a no. Not a, yeah, we'll see, or oh, we'll see what happens. Just a, yeah, of course we've talked to him. But the fight is his focus right now. I, I You know, reading into it, the body language, the talk, it wasn't like Cody was smirking at me. He wasn't nodding and going, ah, you know, the, it's all about the fight right now. But to me, with the casualness with it of, of, well, of course we've talked to Punk. It's in Chicago. And then you get the all-in, obviously, the, the, the T-shirt signing. And that's because there was a, I forget who, I think it was TSN I did an interview earlier today. We, we tweeted it out as well where, you know, somebody asks him about pro wrestling and punk goes, you know, everybody keeps asking me about pro wrestling. And I just want to say it right here, right now that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going back to pro wrestling ever. It's it's in the past. And, and I wish people would stop asking about it. And, da, 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 da. and he goes in this long diatribe about how he's done with pro wrestling. He's not doing pro wrestling anymore. But, you know, to me, Joe, if I'm, if I'm a man who's done with pro wrestling, do you show up the day before the biggest North American independent show to a pro wrestling t-shirt store and do an autograph signing for pro wrestling fans? Well, no, that's just going to stoke the flames again. Right. So if I'm done with pro wrestling, I'm not going to pro wrestling tees on August 31st, a day before All In. 
The other thing is he blatantly lied. He said that no one has asked him to do pro wrestling, but Cody told you on the record that they did. Bingo. There you go. That's all you need. So, hey, you can, you can, you know, and, and for people that are sort of mixed, I don't, I'm not saying that Punk's going to go out there and wrestle a match, but I think I'm my, and it's been my thought from the beginning is that music plays, whether cult of personality or whatever, Punk walks out, all he's got to do is wave, cut a promo, talk about all in and go to the back. That's all it is going to be in my mind. I don't think he's going to, maybe he has to go to sleep on somebody. I don't know what it is, but for people that are saying, oh, you're saying he's all in, he's doing this. And this I just, I just think he's going to be there in some capacity, come out and do something. That's yeah, he, it though. And that's, it's based off the evidence, based off, like you said, he said, nobody has asked me about anything. I haven't heard a thing. Cody tells me, well, we've talked to him. Of course we have. How would we not talk to Punk? How, how do we not broach the subject to Punk? He's on the freaking you know, pressing tease thing like a day before. Like that's that right there. If that doesn't tell you that there's something in there, there's something involved with the weekend right there. So I don't know. I think he's he's obviously guarding himself because he doesn't know what this fight's going to be. And we're all going to see what happens on Saturday. And that's going to be a big part of it. But yeah, I think he'd be silly not to think that he's going to, in some form or fashion, be on the show in some way. I mean, he just won a fucking court case against WWE for a show that's very much showing that, hey, it's, you know, we're, we're us versus them or whatever. It's a perfect representation. And nobody's saying he has to go out there and have a big time match or whatever, even if he's done with pro wrestling. But going out there, coming out, cutting a promo, just waving, sort of showing your support. The tickets are sold, too. That's another thing, too. People are going to say, well, if, if he's going to be on the show, why wouldn't they announce him? They don't need to. They've sold all the tickets. Right. All so you can do, come so out there for is you a can win. do this surprise. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Comes out. Cult personality. The roof explodes off the place. He waves. He's out. That's all he has to do. It's not like you're asking the guy to commit to a full-time pro wrestling schedule. And if he had already agreed to it, you have that in your back pocket in case it hadn't sold out. Right. But and he could he could just come out there and give Flip Gordon a go to sleep. That's, yeah, mean, exactly. That's what we're saying. Like, yeah, we're not saying he's going out there and, and having a great match. And now he's on the Indies and he's, he's going to Japan. I don't know. He he could. I I I truly believe that he might be done with pro wrestling, but I don't think he's not going to all in. Does that make sense? I don't think he's done with pro wrestling. I don't either. I but would listen. I, I don't. I, I don't. was like. I was like the only person on earth the night that that the night after that raw in Seattle when I went on the air with Rob McCarron that said there's no fucking way Daniel Bryan is never wrestling again. He will wrestle again. When everybody else was busy weeping and saying what a great career he's never wrestling again, his poor head. Bullshit. Punk's getting in there too. I'd be stunned if Punk never wrestles another match. The fact of the matter is if he loses to Mike off the wall Jackson, okay? UFC's not going to have any more use for him anyway. They're not going to give a shit if he shows up at all in or, or even does something physical because there's nothing left there. They've squeezed it dry if he cannot defeat, you know, uh, Mike, man in the mirror, Jackson. It's just, you know, it, 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 this is set up for him to either to, to win, to continue his UFC. If he can't beat this guy, there's no, they don't have any, for Dana White has no further use for the man. So yeah, I do think that he will. You know, Punk's gonna wrestle again. I, I'd, I'll eat a hat if Punk doesn't wrestle again. How about that? There it is. <laughs> Are you gonna actually eat the hat though? We've had enough. I don't want any more hat-eating promises that don't deliver on this podcast network. You know, uh, fact of the matter is, I have until Punk's dead uh, to pay off this bet. That's true. I'll you probably die. Before Punk, so I'm never eating that hat. I mean, because you know, why would I eat it? Yeah, you know, I, I could wait this one out. But yeah, I look. I'm a little less, um, you know, bullish on on Punk being it all in than you are. It wouldn't stun me if he's there, though, based on uh, all of the evidence that we've collected. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. And uh, we have another little uh, all in scoop as well, right? 
Yeah, we got from uh, another really good source this week that Enzo Amore is trying to backdoor his way onto the all-in show. <laughs> um, I mean, you're laughing, but uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it isn't Enzo Amore anyway. Eric Arndt? Or what's, what's his rap name? I don't fucking care. <laughs> I don't um, care what his fucking I, name see, is. I thought his name, see, I thought he should go by Bona Fidestud, right? First name Bona. Last name Fide Stud. That'd be a total uh, his rap answer. name is Real One with uh, one as the uh, the number one. That's right, Real One. And he put out another single today, Rich. Which, as we were recording, oh great. So I know you're going to be checking that one out as the hip hop head that you are. Uh, checking out Enzo's second single, but uh, yeah, apparently he's been trying to get on the All In Show. Um, Rich, what odds do you put on that? I would put them at less than zero. If Punk and the Bucks, they really have zero. It'd be the most tone deaf thing possible to put Enzo Amore on the All In Show in any capacity. Do you think there's even a one percent chance? Zero, a zero percent chance. I, and and again, like we saw with the Vince Russo thing, where where they didn't want Vince Russo at the like podcast convention because of, of, of a lot of things that Vince Russo has said in the past and and things that he represents. There is not a single chance in hell that they would lose even an ounce of goodwill. I mean, and they would lose many ounces of goodwill by booking Enzo. I mean, they're not going to do in, in, in any universe too. And it's not like, even if this guy was, regardless of whatever the situation was and whatnot, we're not going to get into that. But even if that was proven to be completely false or fabricated and he was completely clear of all charges, the guy's just a show that nobody likes anyway. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, the reason he was fired from WWE is A, because he didn't tell them that he was being investigated for recharge and B, they were just like looking for a way to get rid of the guy because he was a fucking show and everybody hated him. So it's like, I don't see any, any, in any universe that, that, that he would ever get booked. And there's no, we we'd always talk about pros and cons, benefits negative there, there's zero benefit and only negatives to booking enzo amore no benefit who who is gonna think anything more of the show because enzo amore is on it i i listen i agree i was just posing it to you to see that there's any kind of flicker of hope that they might be dumb enough to put them on it um let me ask you this if they have three thousand tickets sold right now do they put enzo amore on the show nah you still don't think so yeah i don't think so i think it's too toxic on many I, I I I completely agree. Yeah, and, and doing um, a rap song where you dance on the grave of your uh, your, <laughs> your your rape bag, your accuser is probably not great either. So no, I, I think even if he was even if he, if he stayed squeaky clean after everything and and really kind of said, hey, I'm 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 gonna you know really prove or, or do everything I can to try to be a better citizen or whatever. But he just comes out there, looks like a complete fool, and, and does a horrible song where he just you know basically makes fun of the person that accused. And, and no, I mean in, in no universe anymore are you ever gonna book Enzo Mori. I I really would be shocked who is ever. I I know someone is going to, but I don't know, man. He's real toxic on a lot of levels. So uh, yeah, too. he fucking blows at wrestling too. That's the other part. It's like he doesn't add anything to the table. It's not like Will Osprey we're talking about here. It's fucking Enzo Amore. Like, so that's the other aspect too. Like, not to say that like if he was a good wrestler, we would uh, you know overlook any things that he's done or any transgressions or whatever. But it's like even though he's been acquitted or acquitted or whatever, or the charge has been dismissed or whatever, there's just no benefit because he's he's just a toxic guy in general, and then he's also not a good wrestler either. So it's just you know. So no to the consensual penis on the All In Show. No, yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's happened. Consensual penis. What a horrible line. I mean, just even from just a straight rap point of view, pretty bad. Um, yeah, but Enzo, hey, look, I look, I I, I can see why he'd want to be on the All In Show. Um, from that perspective, but yeah, they they don't need him, 
And it would it, it, there's no upside to putting Enzo Amore on your show. There's nothing but downside. So, um, you know, but if he does show up, uh, you can say that, uh, you know, you, you, you heard it here first. Um, let's pivot now to the world of Lucha, which, as everybody knows, we are the foremost uh, definitive oh, word. Get ready for all the pronunciations you can ever handle here, especially in the match we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, so apologies in advance for our horrible uh, pronunciations, but, you know. So there's a lot of news going on with Lucha, but first, we were passed on this match probably, I don't know, a half a dozen times. And I put it, I added it to my pile of shit that I needed to watch. And I finally got around to it. This match was from April. And this was an opener on a AAA TV taping in Tijuana. And it was Black Danger, Ultimo Maldito, Marahe versus Archangel Divino, Black Destiny, who is the former Black Boy. And thank God he changed his name. Huh? What kind of Black Boy? No, that's a horrendous name. So he is now known as Black Destiny. And uh, Henio Del Ere. Okay, that was the other team. I wonder how many of those I totally destroyed. How, how do you think I did? Um, Not great. <laughs> but that's all right. These ones are tough. Uh, these ones are tough. I think, no, you know what? I, I, think, I think I nailed right. them all. I think you got them all. I think, like, obviously, you didn't have the the, the quite the you know same pizzazz that that somebody would have. But I think I think you got them. I think technically you got them all. Rich, I cannot roll the tongue. Right, that's like, what I mean. Like, like technically, you got them. You nailed them. It just didn't quite have the same, you know, oomph. But yeah, no, I, I think you're all right. So anyway, Rich, I checked this match out, and um, I'm I'm I like the loot. I enjoy lucha casually. I th- I would say that I enjoy lucha probably on average more than you do. Um, so I was expecting. An exciting flippy do opener uh, that you normally get uh, with Lucha with some of these younger guys who are trying to make a name for themselves. So I was uh, optimistic that I was going to see something that would be at minimum mildly amusing and uh, potentially very good since so many people were urging me to watch it. Um, Rich, I watched this match. This was a, uh, a six-man tag opener for AAA. These were guys who had originally made their name on crash shows um, and, and, and AAA um, you know, uh, has given them a chance to work the openers. And what I ended up seeing was, um, with with no hyperbole at all, maybe the best sub-10-minute match I've ever seen. And some game-changing level flying. Some, and I definitely saw no less than two, three, four, five things that I've never seen humans do inside or outside a wrestling ring. Um, this was an eye-opening match. These guys blew me away. I'm not even sure who is who. I mean, I know who a couple of them oh, are. I was, I, I was hoping you really knew. Who's, who's the hooded guy in the white pants? I need to know who he is right now. Rich, I can't. I I, I can't help you. I Damn, mean, I've seen. He was so good. The guy with the, the guy with the great head scissors. We don't know who that is. I've seen Black Destiny wrestle a couple times. I saw him wrestle live in New Orleans. Um, I've seen him wrestle when he was Black Boy. Um, but I really and and you know I, I have in my notes somewhere who is who. But it's still a little confused. I can't even tell you who all these guys are definitively. But all I know is I saw something. Um, I saw the next level of flying wrestling in this match. It blew me away. I had noises coming out of me that were so bizarre that my wife had to check on me because she thought I was hurt. I, I, I just I, th- th- watching this match, it just blew me away. I don't even know how to rate it. I don't know how to rate this match. Uh, it's in my fucking notebook. Everyone needs to go watch it. I can't put a rating on this. It was just fucking wild. And I guess we'll get into specific spots after I hear what you thought about it. But what this had me doing was going to our Lucha friends 
and demanding that they send me more footage of all of the people involved in this match. I need to see what these guys do on a weekly basis on these AAA tapings if they remain working the openers. And we've gotten a bunch of matches uh, from some of our pals, and I cannot wait to dive into them. I haven't yeah. watched them yet. Send me but, this stuff. This is this is the Lucha. We now, talked about Rich, it last week. The Lucha now, we like. The, exactly. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Now, this is what I was going to say, and then I'll hand you the floor. Last week I said, Rich, I think you would be into Flippy Lucha if I showed you the right kind of Flippy Lucha. Okay? We established that you're not really into the other kind of Lucha. Here's some flippy. You don't get any flippier than this. <laughs> this as flippy as it gets. Maybe uh, you can even give me less flippy than this, and I will enjoy it. This is this is peak flippy, and we're gonna we're gonna put the link to the match in the uh, show description as well as on the forums as well. So if you have not seen this, we will have a link so you can see it because it is it needs to be seen. And 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 if you have ten minutes to spare, that's all this match is. You will you will definitely be rewarded for your ten minutes. I promise. Oh yeah, this is. I mean, Rich. First of all. Um, <laughs> The, you don't know the blue guy in the white pants? The problem is, like, two guys were wearing leather vests and white pants, but one of them had a hood. I, and I need to know who the hood guy is. And I couldn't figure look, it out. It was, my, it was my first time seeing, like, five of these guys. Damn it. I, pr- I promise by next week I'm going to watch all these okay. matches. I'm going to sort out who they are. I just don't – it's the first time I saw five of them. And I was more blown away by how fucking insane some of these spots were. Rich, the one spot, which I think was the most insane spot of all, was the one dude was on the top rope and his opponent was on the top turnbuckle and he did a springboard into a Hurricane Rana. He flips his opponent off of the top turnbuckle onto the floor onto his other two opponents, which was just mental, okay? There's another spot where a guy did a tope through the ropes and gave a guy a spear off of somebody else's shoulders. Then there was... The six consecutive Canadian destroyers, which I love. I am one. I'm like one of the few people who still. I love a good Canadian. I am not an anti-Canadian destroyer like a lot of these evil people. I love a good Canadian destroyer. There was a sequence of six consecutive Canadian destroyers, which just popped me through the fucking roof. I I thought that was a phenomenal spot. It popped the shit out of the crowd. And then on top of that, you just had all of these new creative ways to do old spots. Different setups for arm drags. Different setups for for uh, like like the flying leg scissor spot that you're talking about, where the guy must have did 150 rotations before he turned the guy over. It was just so much stuff in this match that I did not know you could do in a pro wrestling match. These guys are next level, and they're and a lot of them are kids. Uh, we come to find out that a couple of these guys were street performers doing lucha spots at stoplights for for tips, and then cra- they got of crash and they're teen they're still teenagers and then crash booked them. they they're working local indie shows then they're working crash they got they got a lot of attention from triple a from working crash now they're working triple a shows and it's very obvious that this style that they're doing this next level flying has helped them come from literally the streets to now where they're working openers in triple a um this is next level stuff i don't know enough about it and i haven't seen enough to determine whether any of these guys can be money drawing stars uh i'm just enjoying what the hell they're doing and then when i sink my teeth in and watch a little more i can give better opinions when it comes to that stuff um look they're obviously green in some ways they're obviously um very rehearsed with a lot of the things they're doing because a lot of these guys work together all the time rob viper made a good point they haven't proven that they can deliver at this level against uh, opponents that that aren't familiar with them and that they're not familiar with, so that'll be it. But they're young, they're kids, you know. Uh, give them time. I mean, they're working openers. It's not like they're working the main events. I was blown away by this, and you, you 
and I'm excited about it. And this is this is new, exciting stuff to sink our teeth into. What do you think about all that? Yeah, I mean, that, you, you nailed it right there. It's just incredible the stuff that's happened. I need to know the guy in the hood and the white pants because he did. He the match starts with him breaking out two head scissors like I've never seen before. Like like moves that I've just never. The way he did them were just not how guys ever do them. And that's it's kind of funny that you bring up that they were kind of street performers. They came and you can tell like some of the stuff it's it's rehearsed but it's different. It does it, it feels unique to me. It felt a very similar to what I've seen from the 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 Oriental wrestling entertainment stuff that we've seen where it's like these guys are doing stuff that just it's not classical pro wrestling. They're just doing things differently because they come from different backgrounds. And it's like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. That is a good way to do it. And sometimes you need that. Like we sort of, when pro wrestling is kind of taught by the same people and everybody kind of watches the same stuff and the styles kind of always sort of blend in, you get a lot of the same things. Everything's looked the same. I mentioned it with the Hiromu and, and Ishimori. There's like a, an idea of how a reverse Rana should look. It should look this way or a move should look this way or it should look like that. And it's like, well, no, it's pro wrestling. Like, it can look however you want it to look. And and this was an example of that because that guy busts out these head scissors like you've never seen before. They're not like crazy different new unique things, but just the way he approaches it is a little bit different. I think the same guy, the, the hooded uh, guy in the white pants, gets on a guy's knees and then or, or, or jumps on a guy's shoulders and does a Canadian destroyer from there, which is like, oh, that's not how it's usually done. But oh, my God, that's a great way to do it. Like just a little thing like that is like, holy shit. OK, I get it. Like that's that's something that's kind of cool. So that's why this entire match was like things that I'd almost never seen before and things that maybe people never thought to do. But it's like sometimes you need younger guys that don't necessarily have a background or or, or younger guys that kind of teach themselves. You're guys that are innovative to kind of go out there and do stuff that you've never seen before. And this match is filled with that. There's some stuff that you've seen before and they do it even in a more spectacular way than you've seen it. But there are way more spots that I was like, holy shit, what was that? Rewind. Oh my God, what was that? Like I, I matches where I go back and watch a spot four or five times are few and far between. I'll usually go, okay, that was kind of cool, or I'll, I'll look at a GIF later, or whatever. I, Joe, I went, this match was 10 minutes long. I probably watched it for 45 minutes because I would go back and go, okay, how do you set that up? How do you do that? Because some stuff happens so fast, you didn't even notice. And you go back and you look, okay, oh my God, okay, well, oh, I said, oh, wow, that, okay, I, I see what he did there. That's interesting. But there were so many of those where I'd have to go back and look at the spot just to see how they set it up, what they were doing, what was different about it, why my eyes lit up, why my eyes said, oh, wait, that's, hold on a minute, that's different. That's something to kind of put, you know, that's something to put a little more emphasis on because that's not like anything we've seen before. So there was so much of that in this match. And it's 10 minutes, like, you know what I mean, with a bunch of guys I've never heard about. So now I'm just clamoring to figure out who some of these guys are, like you said, and sort of, yeah. But if you, if anybody wants to send us Flippy Lucia, feel free. It could be less flippy than this. It could be a little less flippy. Don't get too less flippy, though. I, I still need my flippy. But no, man, this is this is right in my wheelhouse of Lucha that I love. This was, was really great stuff. Well, these guys have converted Rich. Um, yeah, this was just, uh, it was mind-blowing. And it was, um, and, it, and the escalation, they just kept doing crazier and crazier shit. And I was screaming louder and louder while watching it. Um, really looking forward to seeing more of these guys. Uh, but that's not, look, there's a lot going on at Lucha. Okay, uh, our man JJ, he never loses. Does, oh does Jeff Jarrett ever come out a loser in pro? It, it really is amazing. Joe, he, he signed a deal to fight. Why is Fight TV paying him for Global Force Wrestling content? What is going on? What? And that's what no one's. Ta- everyone's talking about him winning this, you know, AAA Mega World Universal Heavyweight yeah, Title. This is, you know, another thing in the in the Jeff Jarrett pantheon is you know walks yeah. into AAA and wins their title, but you know, whatever. Yeah, after he drank himself out of the company, he <laughs> he, was he, he just at people. He, he shows was so back drunk. up and he was throwing tortillas. 
And all of a sudden, J- Double J is a main eventer in one of the oh. five biggest promotions in the world. Once again, he's a world champion and main eventer. And by the way, they might be running MSG this fall. <laughs> there is a chance. There is a chance oh that Jeff Jarrett headlines a show oh in Madison Square Garden <laughs> for one of the five biggest promotions on earth later this year. How does he and do this? He sold a content library, which is absolute <laughs> shit, which he may not even own anymore, by the way, because say, it's like, I don't know that he owns any of it. Because 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 Anthem might even own it. He he sold something yeah. he might not even own. Right. I will sell you whatever is in this box. I'm not going to open the box. I'm not going to tell you the context of the box. But you can have this box and the fight TV. Oh yes, we do want this box. It could be like Double a J. tape of like the first global four. Those things were taped years ago. Why would anybody watch those? He never loses. <laughs> see Sonata. He never loses. You can go see you know say a Sonata versus Bobby Roode. <laughs> you know, from- Four years ago, in like a half-filled, you know, minor league ballpark, <laughs> he's still selling it. It, 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 and he may not even own it, right? But, you know, and and oh my god, and, 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 JJ always double J always. And we're wins. busting our ass he, for what? What are we doing, Joe? Like I, you know, I'm I'm gonna get up in six hours and go to my stupid job or whatever. And and double J, man, just what, what he's. I don't know whether to respect, respect him. I I don't know whether to respect him, get mad at him, or just shake my head in disbelief. It's. I, res- I respect do? the hustle. What does he do to get these deals? Listen, how, how does this? I just want to sit in on one Jeff Jarrett business meeting, just one. Double J. He had That's TNA. All you need to- TNA rebranded their entire company <laughs> to Global Force Wrestling, <laughs> and then he was yeah, out in like three to- weeks. They don't know how to get out from under that now, too. It's, right. it's he drank out of that company too it's just amazing oh my god how does he do it i don't i don't understand i just don't, accept I, that he never comes out behind <laughs> and it, it it blows your mind every single and this like these pet this past month is almost more ridiculous than any of the other stuff when i saw tweets that said oh my god I can't, like people were just like jeff jarrett I, I just saw like my tweet stream was just filled with people saying jeff jarrett and i'm like what what in god's name did jeff do and then I see that he just strolls into AAA, puts himself in the biggest you know storyline of the company, and then wins their title. The the <laughs> biggest question, the biggest question is: Does Karen the Witch return to AAA as well? Ooh, I hope. I like a good Karen Jarrett because then you know time's like ticking. Because Karen's gonna yeah. definitely piss somebody off in like fifteen, especially in AAA, where like. You know, everybody is everybody burns every single bridge every single second in that company. We'll talk about a bunch of them uh, here in a bit, but like, yeah, Karen there is is great. I I, I really do hope for Karen because um, that means it's it's something big is going to happen here. Well, there's a lot of big things happening in Mexico. We got Ray Phoenix working AAA. We got him working Crash. He's got him working CMLL, uh, which is just crazy. It's blowing people's minds. But this thing with LA Park that's going on. I mean, okay, first of all. There's now look, it's Lucha, and we don't know if the match comes off. But if Park faces Rush in a mask versus hair match in the main event of the anniversary show in September, which is, you know, the expectation, I mean, that will qualify as one of the three biggest matches in the world this year. Um, and, and, you know, it, that's and, and a payoff of a feud that's been going on for the last two years. But then. It was announced, and it's official, <laughs> that he's been announced for a four-way mask match 
with Pentagon Jr., Psycho Clown, and El, El Hijo del Fantasma, and that would be the main event of Triple Mania on August 25th in Mexico City. So L.A. Park is officially announced for one mask match, uh, you know, in the main event of Triple A's biggest show of the year, and he's expected the main event CMLL's biggest main event, uh, biggest show of the year, and what will be an enormous fucking match. First, the four-way match is huge enough, but it would be an enormous fucking match if he faces Rush in a mask versus hair match. Now, this would be, I mean, I don't even know for people who don't know anything about Lucha how to even draw an equivalency here. Would this be someone main eventing like WrestleMania? And then a WCW pay per view in 1998. I mean, is that like? Yeah, I, I don't know. If, did you read the Observer this week? Because Dave had one that was pretty similar to that. Let me actually fire up what his one was. Let me let me find out what his one was. So it while was you're looking, good. while you're looking for that, but here's the thing, as you search for that, one or both of these matches, there's a there's a, a giant possibility that they don't happen. It's Lucha and it's LA Park. LA Park is nuts. Um, he could decide that he's not working either one of these matches. He could hold up both companies for an absorbent amount of money, not get it, and say, fuck you, I'm not doing either match. So one match could happen. It's definitely a possibility given it's LA Park and given it's Lucha. So yeah. It's- odds of both matches happening, I'm not the right one to set those odds, but I'm, let's put it this way. They're not 90% that the odds of both of these matches coming off are, are going to happen. But I mean, it's really unprecedented and it really speaks to his drawing power that politics are put aside and both companies mm-hmm. are willing to put him in the main event of their biggest show of the year. Um, it would kind of like, I haven't really seen anyone talk about this, but the triple mania show would be like three weeks before the anniversary show. Wouldn't that kind of tip the hand that, that he wouldn't be? Now look, everyone knows he's not losing the mask. Of course, anyway. yeah, yeah, right, right. But yeah, yeah, it, it is a little disingenuous to book a man in a mask match when he's having another mask match in a few days, but yeah. It's disingenuous on his part. I mean, I can't blame triple a, but it's like, from a kayfabe point of view, it's a little weird because from a kayfabe point of view, like CMLL obviously is just going to ignore the AAA match. But is Park going to do that or is he going to do promos? He does whatever the fuck he wants. So I don't know. It's kind of weird that he's in one mask match three weeks before he has the biggest mask match to come down the pike in a long time when he faces Rush for his hair. So um, anyway, did you find what Dave had yeah, to say? So, or- so Dave said essentially this would be the well, the Monday Night Wars, a wrestler who is a big star that is under contract to either WCW or WWF doing WrestleMania and April uh, WCW's April pay-per-view show in the main event with major stipulation on both shows with both matches and events being advertised months in, in advance. Yeah, and I don't know who that – who would be a non-contracted star in 1990? Yeah, I, I was really trying to think. You know, uh, it you know. would be like Bret Hart if he didn't sign right away, like working both companies – you know, uh, in the spring of 98 after he le- leaves WWE in 97 to like, cause that's actually a really good comparison. Cause, yeah, Park cause, I, bad- cause he's been fucked over like LA Park and LA Park would just, you know, then have all the leverage again. Yeah. But still the company still want him. So like Vince, you know, fucked over Brett and then still said, ah, you know, could you, could you work WrestleMania though? We'd really like if you could work WrestleMania. That'd be nice. Yeah. This is Bret Hart working in WrestleMania. And then the, three weeks later working WCW. Both right. in the you main know, events. In, in hair versus hair matches. Or matches or, yeah, something of that. Like quit matches or something. Yeah, or like, you know, lose and lose, lose town matches or whatever. If he works both of those matches and both of those matches draw as it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure both of them would draw uh, as expected and uh, draw sellouts. I mean, you know, he's in conversation, bang, for wrestler year. I mean, he has to be. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's it's incredible. You know, it doesn't even matter if the matches stink. I mean, Park and Rush... If you are into that style, they're not going to have a bad match. I'm not super into their matches. I think they're okay. Uh, but, but I mean, if you're really into that, 
you know, that's a lot. They're not going to have a bad match. Um, and, and the four-way, you know, that one's a little more up in the air. I mean, I mean you know, Pentagon Jr., Phantasma, those guys are good wrestlers. Psycho Clown, you go either way with that guy. I mean, but I mean, if, with a mask on the line and those four dudes, you would think that that'll deliver. It's not as much of a lock as the Park Rush match. But I mean, even if the matches stink, which isn't going to happen, you know, they're going to draw rid- ridiculous uh, uh, crowds. And, and it's going to be just an unprecedented thing that this man is pulling off now. Will he pull it off? I, you know, that's the big question. So, um, you know, I personally, I want to see it happen. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be awesome for wrestling. It'd be awesome for the Lucha scene. It'd be awesome for both companies. It'd be great for Park. I mean, you know, I, I think we'd see Phantasma lose his mask and Rush lose his hair. Now, Phantasma, this is a guy who wants to make it in American wrestling very badly. So, you know, maybe he's willing to take, uh, you know, the payoff to lose his mask because he knows he's got something working, uh, you know, with WWE or something. I mean, that's just my conjecture. That's my speculation. But this is a guy who speaks good English. He has good size. He's a great worker. I think he'd fit in great in WWE. No, I do too. But I think if you look at those guys, if you look at LA, let's just think about the, the match. You look at LA Park, Pentagon, Psycho Clown, and, and, and him. Who of all those people would, would lose the least by losing their mask? It's oh, a hero, right? Yeah. yeah. His mask is not, I mean, it, it, yeah, he has a mask. Of course, is the history of it or whatever. But, I mean, Psycho Clown is, you know, obviously you're not going to want him to lose his mask. And there's no chance in hell Pentagon Jr. is because then, I'll, I'll let me tell you, Pentagon Jr. isn't so much Pentagon Jr. without the mask. Like, the mask makes a lot of the, because, you know, let's say, you know. And he's at the peak of his star power right, right now. Why Pentagon Jr. is not losing his mask. And, and he should never, ever lose his mask because that is the end of Pentagon Jr. Well, you know, I would never say never. I mean, there, there could be a time where, you know, he's kind of... When he's 60, because then it'll... then it'll Because he kind of looks like he's 60 now. So it'd be good if he waited until then to see I, that. I didn't know you were hanging out with Pentagon Jr., but... I, I've seen Pentagon without the mask, and it's... uh He's not quite Pentagon Jr. without the mask. I'll tell you that. The, the, the eyeshadow and the mask work out a lot for Pentagon Jr. More power to him. He's, he's nailed it and he's awesome for it. But yeah, he, uh, he should definitely keep the mask on. We do nothing but unmask people here. It's unbelievable. I mean, I had no idea that you were, you know, throwing down beers with Pentagon Jr. So, you know, this. <laughs> Rob Viper wanted me to go to dinner with him. I was like, no, I'm not going to dinner with Pentagon Jr. Why did you go to dinner with, Rob, with Pentagon Jr.? What am I going to talk to those? Okay. It was Rob Viper and like a contingency of Lucha guys. What the hell would I have Rich, thought to? You don't, you don't, you don't. You're the fucking fly on the wall. I you don't, I don't be in a car with those weirdos. Like, <laughs> why not? They're wrestling gimmicks. They're not really weirdos. Oh, you've been in like a van with them, right? I don't know. Listen, you think Pentagon Junior is going to whip you with his belt in the in the car I, on the way to a restaurant? He's just a, he's just a normal guy. Uh, what do you, what do you work? I mean, what do you think's happening here? You think Drago's going to spit blood at you? I mean, what what, what do you what do you? What do I talk to them about? You know, what am I doing? I don't know. Yeah, you don't talk. You're the fly on the wall. You're a fool. I definitely would have went to that dinner. And I would have drove him there. And I would have drove him back. I would have got as many stories as I could have out of those guys. I would have brushed up on my Spanish. And I would have sat there in that restaurant. And, you know, I would have ate my fucking chicken sandwich and listened to those guys fucking bullshit and talk shit about Conan and talk shit about, you know, everybody. <laughs> but you would only know like one every like 15th word though, right? You got Viper there to translate. Ah, uh, Rob's got another, he's got enough to handle. He's not going to want to hold my hand the entire day. He's got, you know, he's got stuff to do. He invited you. I should have went. I don't know went. if it was an explicit invite. It was a, hey, where can we eat around here? I love this idea. Does that count as an explicit you- invite? The, hey, can we, what can we eat around here? Listen, 
I love this idea that you were afraid to go to dinner with luchadors because you were afraid they were going to be in their lucha gimmicks. I love <laughs> this. You, you're like, oh, these guys are crazy. Like you think Drago's going to come down from the ceiling with his fucking wings and settle in in his seat and 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 and, and you know order, order some chili fries. Like, I, these I, are fucking- I truly believe that Pentagon Jr. would Canadian destroy me through a like a, a, a table. That that I feel like could happen at any moment. Or break my arm. I don't. I need my arm for work. You always note how good he smells. He does smell great. Well, I like the smell of ice yacht. If you don't like the smell of ice yacht, you wouldn't like Pentagon Jr. that much. Well, this went places I didn't think. It was- 